0: You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. and really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sanstum. Somebody better help Sanstum. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh, my. Did Mick plant one on c card Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning. Who's he going to go after? The puck drop and the puck drops. a
1: This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lizito. So welcome to episode 56, actual episode 73. And with today's episode, I bring you the list that I have been teasing for a long time now. Uh, So for the regular listeners, you know that months ago I did uh, my top 10 Islander enforcers by position, other than goalie, of course. Um, I did the the wings, defense, and center, and ultimately it was going to lead up to this episode, my top 10 all-time Islanders enforcers. So um, you may agree, you may disagree, But before we get to that, there's a few things I would like to talk about. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I really appreciate you taking the time to tune in. And if you're a returning listener, thank you again for listening. Um, It's always nice to know that there are other people on the other end, that there are people on the other end of this speaker listening. Uh, It definitely uh, makes everything worthwhile, and I always appreciate the feedback. So thank you. Uh, Let's see. So. Wherever you are listening to this, if you could please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you are listening to. It's very simple. You go to that button that says subscribe and press it, and that's it. You're done. Uh, Subscription is free, of course, and you get the content before people who do not subscribe. So uh, it'll generally hit your – is it inbox or feed? I guess feed would probably be the proper – term. It'll hit your feed almost instantaneous once I upload it. Uh, So there's no reason not to subscribe. If you're listening to this now, subscribe. Go ahead, do it. I'll wait. Thanks. All right. Also, if you could like, rate, and review the show, all this stuff is intertwined. uh, And what happens is the more likes and subscriptions and ratings, uh, reviews that I get, it brings greater visibility to the show. Now, I am small potatoes. There are, well, I mean, it's a podcast, so thousands, millions of bigger shows out there than mine. So any help I can get in uh, bringing some more visibility to the program, I would definitely appreciate it. Uh, Like I said, uh, this this is my actual 73rd episode, and uh, I didn't really know what to expect when I started, but uh, I'm... Not planning on going anywhere. So if we can make this thing bigger, that would be great. And any help is appreciated. If you're on social media, I am on social media as well. Although sometimes I do wonder why. Uh, But if you're on Twitter, excuse me, at Joe underscore Lozito and at Colly Sin Bin Pod. The Joe Lozito account is my personal account. The Colly Sin Bin Pod account is the account for the show. If you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and on Instagram Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So all of those social media platforms, as far as the show goes, that's all Islander related content. And um, if you like the show. You would probably like those accounts. It's all photos, Islander organizational enforcer birthdays uh facts, stats, things like that, like I always say, nothing too heavy. You have enough friends and uh followers. Uh, contacts that uh, are all disease experts and political experts you've accumulated enough of those over the last five years Uh, nothing like that on my social media so uh, give me a follow I'll follow you back and uh, like you know like the page and if you have a page you want me to like I'll do uh, I'll do the same like I always say there's enough out there for everybody to enjoy the feast and uh, for everybody to prosper so uh, so let's help each other out now I have merchandise. I am like the Gene Simmons of the podcasting world, I guess, except Gene Simmons actually sells stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> well, no, he does. I mean, obviously, no one's going to sell. I'm definitely not going to sell as much as Kiss. But, uh, but yeah, I have merchandise. Uh, if you scroll down slightly, you will see two links in the episode description of the episode that you are currently listening to. One link will have the original uh, merchandise, and one link will have the alternate logo merchandise like i always say i could not combine the two stores hence the two separate links but please visit both and uh it's hot out you know I, I spoke about last week we got a tremendous heat wave here on long island i think it was hot everywhere and uh you know order your tank top for your uh for yourself for your lady for your man whatever uh order 10 Uh, T-shirts, I got plenty of stuff in that store for everybody. Uh, It's beach time, so, you know, uh, you're going to go to the beach, you need a tote for all your stuff. I mean, there really is nothing in the store that you can't use. So please check out both links, the original logo and the alternate logo, and the listener-exclusive discount this week is going to be Countdown. So if you uh, enter code COUNTDOWN, at checkout in either store, you will get twenty percent off your entire order, and that will be valid until uh, July twelfth. So, code countdown until July twelfth. Twenty percent off everything in the store. So go nuts! Just go nuts. Get all your summer gear going, and uh, and like I always say, if you actually purchase anything. Uh, with my logo on it I, uh, I I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate everybody that reps the show out there uh with shirts or what have you so uh thank you, thank you very much And when you go to those sites, you're going to see my logo, which is really why i 'm pumping this stuff up trust me i don't i don't sell enough to quit my job but uh but I love the logo, and the logo was drawn by local Long Island artist Joe. Maricich. Joe is available for hire. Joe is a great guy, despite liking the Jets. It's, uh, I mean, maybe is one negative, I mean, he's a Met fan too, but I really don't even care about Major League Baseball anymore. So let's go with the Jets. Uh, the one character flaw he has is a Jets fan, but you may be a Jets fan if you're an Islander fan. So maybe you look at it as a positive. Either way, hit up Joe Maricich at GraphicsJoker on Twitter. Or at loudegg.com, Joe is available for hire, and uh, you will not be disappointed. And let him know that you heard about him on Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. Fourth Line Voice, now that is a podcast by my buddy Darren out in Saskatoon. He is the OG of the Enforcer podcast game. Darren has uh, well over 100 episodes. His latest episode was the Sunday shit show. Don't sleep on these Sunday shit show episodes. I actually think, um, last Sunday's episode or two Sundays ago, he, uh, he charted very high on Chartable, And I know, I don't know much about that stuff, but I know he says, you know, you, you can't put too much stock in that, but, um, you know, you chart very high, it, it has to mean something. So, um, basically, if you are a fan of old school hockey, you will definitely appreciate Darren's Sunday shit show episodes. But Darren is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network, so he has not one, but two episodes a week. Like I said, the Sunday episodes are his weekly rants, and his Wednesday episodes are interviews be it full-length interviews or lately he has been delving into the top five toughest opponents of previous guests and um, they're delightful absolutely delightful and and like he says he's covered all this in the long form interviews but uh, in these top top five toughest they generally go into a little more detail and they they talk about more than the top five toughest people or else the interview would probably be about 20 minutes and they're generally well over an hour so uh, i would definitely check him out and if you're looking for a condo and you're in the saskatoon area definitely hit up darren because uh, he's got one for sale so uh, and he's got really cool neighbors and they don't do their uh, leaf blowing at any inconvenient time so definitely reach out to darren if you are looking to buy a condo in the saskatoon area and this was, uh, this was something that I did a lot of for this episode. If you are a Hockey Fight fan and you watch Hockey Fights on YouTube, chances are you have watched the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. Darren has over 2,500 fights. You know you've watched them on there, even if you don't even realize it. So uh, definitely check out his YouTube channel as well. I alluded to this last week. Where is the Bucket Drop podcast been? His team. The Canadians are in the finals. Now, they're not doing so hot, but they're in the finals. They're in the finals. Bobby, where are you? The Bucket Drop Podcast with my friend, Bobby Longress. Generally, short episodes, maybe between 10 and 25 minutes. Brings you up to speed on all the happenings with the Leafs and the Senators and his team, the Canadians. Talks about combat sports, talks about betting, Um, but he has been MIA lately. So, uh, and I don't, it has nothing to do with them being down uh, 03 because he was kind of at MIA when they first made the finals. So uh, maybe he's waiting for the finals to be over to do a, uh, a review episode, but uh, check out his back catalog while we wait for him to come out of hiding. Bobby, let's go. Come on. Finally well for this group of announcements if you follow me on social media on either of my twitter accounts you've seen me post daily about a gofundme for my friend steve steve is the rain man of the hockey fight hobby steve he remembers things i can't remember yesterday he remembers things in full detail from 33 years ago um The site, drop your gloves. We've all been on it. We've all used it. We've all checked it out. The players have used it. Coaches have used it. Fans have used it. It's gone. It's gone. It's never coming back. The guy who did the site, kind of a tool from what I'm hearing. I don't know that personally, but if 20 people, 30 people are telling you the same thing about someone, maybe there's some merit to it. But I digress. I don't know him. Could be the greatest guy in the world. But from what I hear, probably not. But we all use that site we'd all love to have it back steve started a go fund me he went to techie people said i want to make this website but i want to make it bigger and better and better and they said steve we need about 10 grand so steve started the go fund me he's a little more than halfway there um so please if you can donate a dollar $5 $10 $20 that's great and if you can't donate i completely understand but please go to my Twitter page, retweet the GoFundMe because we have different followers and maybe someone that follows you doesn't follow me and they want to donate five bucks. So uh, Darren brings up an excellent point uh, that him and Alec have spoken about on the Enforcer Appreciation page has about 13,000 followers. If everybody donated a dollar, the site would be up by now. So please, I ask again, if you're able to donate anything, please do. If you're not able to donate, please share the GoFundMe link. It will definitely help a lot. So unlike most episodes, I'm not going to really talk too much more before the uh, nuts and bolts of the show. There are a few things I would like to point out. So I have a friend who you've heard me talk about before from Finland named Yuka, And Yuka, he's doing these uh, fight projects, uh, fight DVD projects with uh, individual players. And his latest one is Iron Mike Bro. And uh, some people call him Brault. I think it's Mike Bro. Um, Mike Bro has some pretty insane penalty minute and fight numbers. Um, He told me to talk about it and I'm doing it because Yuka is my favorite Swede. He's done me a lot of favors and I really appreciate it. Uh, Please check out, pillow puncher 77 on twitter uh i believe he might end up having 99 percent of mike bro's career fights uh he wants everybody to know the lunacy in the numbers that this guy has put up in terms of fighting majors uh i'm reading his one of his posts now um over 6 uh, 727 career fights according to Yuka uh averages like over 9 penalty minutes a game. I mean this is like crazy stuff. So uh visit Pillow Puncher 77 and um check out his uh posts about Mike Bro. Also check out uh, his other post, because he is looking for footage of other players, Yuka uh, is a very good guy. He's willing to trade. He's willing to send his stuff all the way from Sweden. And, um, you know, he's he's a good dude. He's a very good dude. He's got a lot of good stories. He was actually a guest on the Fourth Line Voice podcast once. So check out that episode along with all of Darren's other episodes. But if you check out that episode, and he goes by Jay, I think that's his uh, his American name. But uh, I, I will always call him Yuka. That's what his mom named him. So he's Yuka. So um, check it out. Yuka's a great dude. Check out his Twitter feed. He always posts some good stuff on there too. And uh, But check out this stuff on Mike Bro. It's it's actually insane. Uh, let's see. Also, I want to say thank you. Uh, at the viewing party, the Islander viewing party against Tampa, which I think was the Game 5 debacle, eight nothing whatever it ended up being i met uh tony and amanda uh they came up to me they said they enjoyed the show and that really meant a lot to me uh like i said earlier uh it's always nice to know that there's someone on the other end of the speaker and uh when you can actually put a face to the name or the facebook handle or the twitter handle and you can actually see that they're you know good people like tony and amanda they were awesome and uh you know, hopefully next year at UBS, uh, you know, we'll have more time. We can hang out, grab a beer or a soda, or whatever, grab a bite to eat. But I just want to say thank you, Tony and Amanda. You really made my night because as you know, that night sucked pretty much with the Islanders getting their ass handed to them. But, uh, but it was great meeting you guys and you really, really made my night. So, uh, so thank you again. It was awesome to meet you. Uh, all right. Finally, espn as you know uh nbc did not renew their rights and i think it's espn and tnt are splitting the rights to hockey and and honestly for me i don't really give a fuck i don't ever watch the national game unless it's the islanders so this really doesn't affect me too much but it has to be said so for those of you of a certain age You remember ESPN back in the day when they had hockey, uh, Tom Meese was the host and he did play by play too. rest in peace, Tom Meese, uh, John Saunders was a big part of it. Uh, and they had Gary Thorne and Bill Clement. So ESPN puts out this graphic, uh, I forget how many, you know, maybe 30, 35 members of their hockey team. Thank God. Steven Smith wasn't a part of it, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and not on the graphic was Gary Thorne nor Bill Clement. Now I had posted something about it and someone told me that Bill Clement had retired. So, uh, good for him. He had a great career as a player, a great career as a broadcaster. So, uh, hopefully he's enjoying his life after hockey. But as far as I know, Gary Thorne is not retired. And as I look at this graphic here of who their, uh, play by play people are, uh, yeah, let me see zero 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 absolutely zero have the resume of Gary Thorne okay there are some quality people on here for a play-by-play like Steve Levy he's done the job for a long time uh but I even think someone uh, Sean McDonough I know he was uh from Nesson uh, a long time with the Bruins and I think he's been with VSPN a while now doing baseball and hockey. I, those guys uh, maybe, unless I'm missing someone, probably the most decorated play-by-play guys aside from the Spanish uh, language guys. Cause I don't really know anything about those guys, but I would say out of everybody they named uh, Steve Levy, Sean McDonough, probably the two biggest names on that list. And neither of them, have the resume of Gary Thorne. And I honestly think they'd admit that. I think they would actually admit that they don't. And, you know, obviously congratulations to them and and everybody else ESPN hired. But uh, it's a shame that uh, they couldn't work it out to bring Gary Thorne back. I know some people that are listening, like my friend Fish, uh, who I'm very surprised that does not like Gary Thorne, uh, but, you know, to each their own. Uh, the other thing that stood out to me was that again, aside from the Spanish broadcasting crew, and I can't say Spanish announcing crew without thinking of old school WWF, where they always got guys always landed on their tables. And if you're if you're like me and you watched it back then, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Their table always got smashed. The Spanish broadcasting crew, the Spanish announcing crew, I can't say it without thinking about that. But to me, one of my pet peeves is uh, sports and their color commentators, their analysts. No matter what the sport is, I want an analyst who played the game at that level. And to me, play-by-play can be done when I say it can be done by everyone, I don't mean everyone can do it because it's not easy, but what I'm saying is you can practice play by all these play by play guys that you hear they've been doing, you know, they, they, a lot of them have the same story the old school guys with the tape recorder at the game, sitting in the upper deck, broadcasting the game or doing it from their house. They turn the sound down. They brought, it seems like everyone has the same story. It's a passion that you have at a young age and, to me, play-by-play can be done by – you just have to be a fan of the game and a passion for the job. And a play-by-play, I don't care if you ever put on a pair of skates. I'm sure it helps. But I, I believe you can be a fan of the sport and do play-by-play if you have that gift and you're willing to put in the work. Like I said in my interview with John Forsland. I always wanted to be a play-by-play person but in my head I didn't I I thought it would be I go to college I get my communications degree and then I just step into an NHL job I never wanted to do high school sports or college sports, which, which sounds really stupid right now when I say it, but I was young and stupid back then. Uh, you know, if I could do it all over again, I definitely would look into do, look, have looked into doing my high school sports and the college sports um, and see where it took me. But like I said, uh, play by play, uh, you know, if you're passionate about the job, go for it, do it um reporter i guess the uh the on ice reporters whatever same thing again you, i think you just have to be passionate about the game you just have to know the nuances about the game um but the analyst thing that's a real I'm a real stickler for that, and i apologize well I, I mean i don't apologize if if what I'm saying right now offends you then actually that's on you um if i'm watching hockey, I want my analyst to have played in the NHL because that person can give you the insight that nobody else can. The Islanders have Butch Goring as an analyst. Butch Goring played in the NHL. Butch Goring coached in the NHL. He coached in the minors. He coached in junior hockey. But most importantly, he's broadcasting NHL games, and he played. And to me, I can't go in and do that job and give you the the analysis like Butch does. I can't give you the analysis like Barry Melrose does, a guy who played at the NHL level, a guy who coached at the NHL level. I can't do that, all right? As far as uh, baseball goes, I know here in New York, uh, you got the Yankees. I know David Cohn is an analyst. I know Paul O'Neill is an analyst. Uh, I don't know who else. I don't really watch the games, but I know the Mets have Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez as analysts. I mean, it just makes sense to have former players that played the game and preferably played for the team they're announcing with. Now, obviously ESPN is national, so they're not going to keep 32 analysts on staff, but I would prefer my analysts to have played in the league that they are giving you the commentary on and uh, not all of their analysts are former NHL players. So that's just a pet peeve of mine. You don't have to agree. That's fine. But, uh, you know, like I said, and the reality is this doesn't really affect me because I'm not. I'm going to watch – the only time I'm going to watch is when the Islanders are on. It, it's just a fact. I'm not going to watch any other games because I can't. They're boring to me. I watch the Islanders. The Islanders are in my blood. They're in my soul. I, I grew up an Islander fan, and I love them. And no matter how soft this game gets, I'm always going to watch the Islanders. And thankfully, the Islanders have always had leadership – even if it's not the current leadership that appreciated physical hockey and, and they've always employed guys who play with a little bit of grit and sandpaper. And fortunately now I have two old school guys in charge of the team that I love. And then we have guys like Matt Martin and Ross Johnston, Scott Mayfield. You know, even Anders Lee is a skilled player, but he doesn't mind playing with a little grit too I will watch the Islanders, but I am not watching any of these other games that are on ESPN. So it really, like I said, it really doesn't affect me, but I just found it humorous. And by the way, you know who's not on that list? And I I said it to him in a text after I interviewed him last week. I actually think Roman Ender would be a great analyst. I really do. I mean, uh, I just think... I, you know, look. A lot of it comes down to knowledge, but I think a lot of it comes down to personality. And I, I think that that rooms would be amazing on television. I really do. He's got, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's he's uh, got a good personality. He always smiles. I'll tell you what. If I was a network, I would definitely reach out to that guy and try to get him uh, on my you know, on the panel or, you know, as a, as a color commentator, I really think uh, that Rumenender would, would be pretty good at that gig. Now, I don't know. I know he wants to get into coaching or he's been coaching and he's, he's getting, um, what are they called badges? I think in Canada, you have to get a certain amount uh, to reach certain levels, but I I told him, I think he'd be really good at it. So, uh, so we'll see what happens, but that's my opinion. You may or may not like it, and that's fine. I'm okay with that because that's what makes the world go around. Here we go. Now, as I alluded to earlier, um, over the, jeez, I don't know when I did the last one, probably five, six months ago, um, the top 10 lists for the Islanders. So um, my goal in doing the positions was to kind of break it down and give you my top 10 at every position other than goalie, of course. And I figured that I would use those lists to put together my ultimate top 10 Islanders Enforcer list. And I thought I would do this episode a lot earlier. But when I didn't do it after last season, I didn't want to do it this season because there's a person still playing that is on my list. And there's another person, I'm kind of giving it away now, but who has made honorable mention. So I didn't want to do it before the season was over. And now that the season is over, unfortunately, I figured this was the right time to do the list. So what I have for you today is my top 10. My top 10. You may think I'm fucking batshit crazy. I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's cool. That's cool. I think it's a pretty good list, and I honestly think if you are an Islander fan and you come up with a list of your own, I would say our lists will probably have minimum seven of the same players, uh, maybe eight. You may have a guy or two different than I have. Uh, You may have guys on your list that I have in my honorable mention. Um, I don't know, but this is from my experience of watching the Islanders for being an Islander fan uh, you know, studying the enforcers. This is my official top 10 all time Islanders enforcer list. Now the bad thing is with the way the game is played. Now this list is a forever list because the only guy There's only – well, there's two guys in the organization right now that are legitimate enforcer types, and I'm not counting Matt Martin because he'll fight, but Matt Martin – I don't want to say – all right, fine. Matt Martin's on this list, but I'm talking about guys that aren't on this list in the top ten, and that's Ross Johnston and that's Yannick Turcotte. And unfortunately, I don't see either one of those guys ever getting enough playing time in their career with the Islanders to crack this top ten. Now, obviously, that would be a great problem to have. You know, five years from now, ten years from now, I'm sitting here going, Jesus, man, Ross Johnston, I can't believe the amount that he's played. I really can't believe the way hockey has changed back to the way it should be and and the impact that Ross Johnston has had. I have to seriously consider moving him into my top ten. I hope that happens. I do. I hope that happens. Uh, But the way the league is going, I don't have high hopes for that. But like I alluded to earlier, and I've said alluded to like three times already. What the fuck, right? But as I mentioned earlier, I'm very fortunate that Ross Johnston is an Islander, that Matt Martin is an Islander, that Scott Mayfield is an Islander. I love these guys. And um, like I said, though, I don't think this list will ever change for me because I don't see anyone cracking the top 10. But let's revisit this in a few years and let's see what happens. I would love for something to happen and Ross Johnston starts to see more playing time and just starts to go through the league. That would be a terrific problem for me to have in terms of this show, putting Ross Johnston in my top 10 and who am I taking out? How am I rearranging this? But uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed, but I don't know if it's going to happen. But so this is. This is, like I said, this is my list. You may agree. You may disagree. Uh, I have always said that uh, I can make an argument for my top five. Any one of those top five guys, I can make an argument for them being number one. I have all the confidence in the world that I can I can make an argument that all any one of those five guys could be number one. Uh, so that was the difficult part of putting this countdown together, this list together, because you really could put number 5 at number 1 you could put number 1 at number 3 you can mix up the top 5 they could all be number 5 they could all be number 1 so it was it was a difficult process for me but i i uh, i stand by my numbers i stand by my countdown and uh, hopefully you like it uh, And like I said please It would be really cool for for You guys to listen to the list And send me a message or post on Twitter Post your top 10 list uh, I don't even need your reasoning Just you know, hit me with 10 names, hit me with uh, what you like about the countdown, what you don't like about the countdown. And, uh, but more importantly, I want to see your list. And I don't want to see your list so I can go, oh, you don't like my countdown, but look at your list. Your list sucks. Not at all. I I love it. I love seeing differing opinions. So uh, please, if you're listening to this and you have the time, uh, show me your top 10 Islander list. I'd love to hear it, especially from islander fans of a certain age if you're 20 years old 25 years old and you want to send me a list that's great but unfortunately you haven't lived through certain guys uh you haven't seen them other than say youtube or something but please i would love to hear your reasoning i'd love to hear your rationale and i would love to see as many top 10 all-time islander enforcer lists as you can provide me so get me on facebook or twitter instagram hit me up with your top 10 list and um what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to start, and I have four honorable mentions, and here's the first one.
0: Karkner and Curran. Now, Curran's a rough guy, yeah, one of the rough and he's ones. going at Karkner. Well, I'll tell you, Islander fans have to be happy about Brian Curran. This is one of the reasons they got him. They wanted a the tough guy, and he is clearly showing his toughness here.
1: The Colonel, Brian Curran. He is my first honorable mention of the countdown. Now the honorable mentions are done in chronological order to their appearance with the Islanders. So uh, you'll have the uh, furthest guy out like Brian Curran played in uh, 86, 87 and then 87, 88. So he's the guy furthest out. So they're not done. The, the honorable mentions are not done in, in a uh, ranking order. They're done chronologically. So, Like I said, first honorable mention is the Colonel, Brian Curran. Brian Curran played one full season with the Islanders and part of another. Brian Curran was my guest for episode 24, two-part episode. What a thrill it was to speak to the Colonel. Uh, I thought it was a great interview, uh, some tremendous insight. Uh, The Colonel was originally a second-round pick in 1982 by the Boston Bruins. 22nd overall. So uh, for the last, I don't know how many decades that would have made him a first round pick. And he was highly touted coming out of uh, Portland of the Western league. So uh, how he became an Islander was he was traded from the Bruins to the Islanders on September 6, 1986. And I believe that there was some, um, I don't know exactly what happened. And maybe I, I, we discussed it in the interview, uh, I think the Bruins had their choice of a few players. They ended up with Paul Boutelier, who I know played some games for them. He's in that famous uh, Boston-Montreal bench-clearing brawl. Uh, he he had the unlucky draw of Chris Nyland in that, but uh, traded from the Bruins to the Islanders uh, for Paul Boutelier. And uh, he left the Islanders uh, a couple of years later, traded from the Islanders to the Leafs for a sixth-round pick in the 1988 draft. Who did the Islanders pick in 1988 in the sixth round? Pavel Gross. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who? Well, Pavel Gross played exactly zero games on the continent of North America. Forget about the Islanders. The entire continent, Pavel Gross played zero games. So, uh, to say that the Leafs won that trade is an understatement. Just a little more background on uh, the Colonel. The Colonel won the Memorial Cup with the Portland Winterhawks in 1982-83. He was also a Calder Cup champion, back-to-back Calder Cup champion in 92-93 with the Cape Breton Oilers, and then the following year with the Portland Pirates. Uh, So let's get to his Islander tenure. The Colonel holds the single-season record for penalty minutes for the Islanders a record that will never be broken in 1986, 87, the Colonel played 68 games, 356 penalty minutes. And he had 19 fights that year, which tied with Alan Kerr for the team lead. Uh, the Colonel really was the bridge between the, uh, the glory years, uh, the heavyweights of the glory years, like Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom. And then the guys that would follow him like Mick Vicoda. Uh the year that the Colonel was here, uh, there was no more Bob Nystrom. There was no more Clark Gillies. So, it was the colonel's job. He was the heavyweight. They had guys like Alan Kerr. Uh, Gerald Didick was a young player. Dwayne Sutter was still here. Uh, you know, an older guy. Uh, Dale Henry played a few games. But there there was one legitimate heavyweight on the team that season, and that was Brian Kerr. And some of the guys that he took on that season, uh, Larry Playfairy fought him twice. Gore Donnelly, uh, twice he fought Rick Tockett, Kevin McClelland. Marty McSorley, Dave Brown, Jay Miller, Joey Koser, Dwight Schofield, uh, Terry Carkner twice, uh, Mitch Wilson, underrated. Uh, if you don't know a lot about Mitch Wilson, uh, definitely look him up. Uh, Bob Probert, Craig Berube. So those were the, the bigger names on his fight card in 1986-87. Uh, he had one fight in the playoffs that year against Greg Adams. And then in 87-88, he played 22 games before being traded to toronto uh with bouts against ray Newfeld, willie plett david Maley, and current islanders assistant coach lane lambert so the the colonel his totals for the islanders 90 regular season games 424 career penalty minutes for the islanders which places him 29th on the all-time islanders list and he had 23 career regular season fights with the islanders which places him 20th on the list, and when you consider that, you know, he really had only one real season and a quarter of another one, those are some pretty impressive numbers. His playoff numbers, eight games, 51 penalty minutes, one fight, like I said, the fight against Greg Adams. Um, After playing, the colonel went on to coach, coached at several levels coached in several leagues he was the coach of the year with two different teams in two different leagues uh he was the WPHL coach of the year with the Monroe Moccasins uh, in 1999-2000 and he was the ACHL coach of the year with the making tracks of the ACHL in 2002-2003 so just a little uh, little information there on the kernel for you. My first of four honorable mentions. Now let's get on to the second honorable mention.
2: Did you ever jump in wanting to defend a teammate, Jonesy? Well, luckily I can remember this because uh, there's some punches that I take in this fight that a lot of people would be going, ouch. Uh, You can see right here, Paul Cavallini gets into a little scrum there, takes a stick to the face, and I end up fighting Richie Pilon, and it was a mistake. And you watch the left hand of Richie Pilon right there. Uh, Somehow I survived that one, and four other lefts that I had no idea he was a lefty. Almost landed on my head by the end of the fight. I'll give you one more look at this. And that is not what you want to have happen to you when you fight somebody. So, for some reason, I tried to stand up and keep fighting. That also was a mistake. I remember getting to the bench afterwards when I left the penalty box, and Dale Hunter said to me, what are you doing fighting Richie Pilon? And I had no idea how
1: tough he was. The Chief, Richie Pilon. So, Richie Pilon is one of many Chiefs that has played for the Islanders Uh, Craig Berube played for the Islanders Chris Simon played for the Islanders Jason Simon played for the Islanders Uh, Offhand I don't remember if they have Had any other Chiefs Uh, Obviously that's an homage To their um, I was going to say Native American but I guess For uh, Canadians it would be First Nations uh, Heritage And uh, Richie was the longest tenured Member of that club Um, So like I said, Richie is the second honorable mention I was fortunate enough to interview Richie A two-part interview He was uh, the guest for episode 16 Richie was a 7th round pick by the Islanders in 1986 He was uh, 143rd overall And a dark day on December 1st, 1999 When his Islanders tenure came to an end And he was claimed by the Rangers Dark days A sad day for Islander fans and a sad day for Richie. I was happy he was able to continue his career, but, uh, you know, it's unfortunate he wasn't able to finish his career with the Islanders. So Richie holds the Islanders' single-season record for penalty minutes by a rookie. He set that in his rookie season of 1988-89 with 242 penalty minutes. Um, I think most people, when you mention Richie Pilon, they're going to bring up one of two names. Uh, the first one would be Kevin Stevens. Everybody remembers the uh, Kevin Stevens hit from uh, May of 1993 in the playoffs, Game 7 against Pittsburgh. And depending on who you talk to, they say Pelon, you know, hit Stevens high, hit him in the face, whatever. But the reality is um, Stevens was charging at Ritchie, and unfortunately he hit Ritchie's visor, He was knocked out before he hit the ice and, you know, unfortunate incident, but uh, luckily Stevens recovered. He played, uh, I think, geez, probably eight or nine more years after that incident. But that was a really scary incident that people remember uh, involving Richie. And obviously people are always going to remember the wars that he had with Eric Lindros. Uh, That was always must-see stuff when the Islanders and, and Philadelphia got together. You just knew that before the game, I would say most games, Lindros is probably focused on, you know, the goalie or whatever of the other team or whatever a superstar like that. And in my opinion, an underrated superstar, by the way, uh, would focus on before a game. But you knew every game that the Flyers played the Islanders, uh, he'd have to account for Richie Pilon. And uh, I think Richie thrived in those games against the Flyers because if Eric is worried about him, he's not worried about scoring goals or doing other things. So uh, I would think those are two of the, uh, two of the things that people think about with Richie Pilon Uh, for Islander fans. We know just a hard hitter, uh, really good defensive defenseman, not the kind of defenseman you see in hockey nowadays, Uh, an absolute throwback. Richie owns two of the top 10 highest single penalty minute totals in team history. As I mentioned, His 242 penalty minutes in 1988-89 is the record for Islanders rookies. It also places him 7th out of the top 10 highest penalty minute seasons in team history. He also topped that in 1997-98 with 291 penalty minutes, which places him 4th in team history for a single season penalty minute total. Richie was inducted into the Prince Albert Raiders Hall of Fame in 2009. In 2012, uh, the arena in Pittsburgh—I don't know if they were—it was called the PPG Paints Arena. If it's called that now, if it was called it then, uh, they unveiled a statue of Mario Lemieux uh, splitting Richie and uh, Jeff Norton. So, uh, you know, obviously, I mentioned that to Richie during the interview, and he's really good about it. He basically says he's. He's gonna live forever. That statue will be up forever, and uh, and he'll live forever, and uh, you know, in some sort of history. I don't know if it's infamy, but uh, but he is a part of that statue, the Mario Lemieux statue, with his D partner from back then, Jeff Norton. Uh, also, Richie's son Garrett. I'm uh, fuck. Is it Garrett or Jarrett, Richie? If you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm gonna call him Garrett. Uh, he plays in the Capitals organization and uh, this past season played his first NHL game, which is really, really cool. Uh, getting back to Richie, Richie's totals with the Islanders, he played 509 games. A lot of those, uh, that game total would be a lot higher, but unfortunately, with the way Richie plays, he did suffer some injuries that limited him in, in various seasons. But despite all that, 509 games played. 1,525 penalty minutes, which places him second in team history for all time penalty minutes, and 69 fights. If my son Dominic was here, he would say nice right now. 69 fights, excuse me, which places him sixth all time uh, on the Islander list for fighting majors. In the playoffs, 15 games, 50 penalty minutes, and one playoff fight, which you heard. Keith Jones talk about right before I started talking. That was, uh, that was Richie's lone playoff fight. Richie has led the Islanders. He led the Islanders in penalty minutes four times. He tied for the team lead in fighting majors. One time tied for the team lead in playoff fighting majors. One time. Now, obviously some people that aren't Islander fans take uh, umbrage with the fact that Richie wore a visor for part of his career when in reality, Richie didn't have a choice. He had to wear the visor. But I think people don't, you know, they don't want to realize it. Plus, Richie, Richie probably pissed them off a lot uh, when he played against their team, especially if they're uh, Rangers fans or Flyers fans, teams within the division. But, uh, you know, like Richie said in the interview, if he didn't have to wear it, he wouldn't have worn it. Uh, So just to go over, let's talk about Richie's rookie season with the 242 penalty minutes. Uh, Andrew McBain, Lou Francis Michelle Petit, Todd Ewan, Craig Berube, Rick Tockett, Jay Caulfield, Marty McSorley, uh, former Islander Dwayne Sutter, Kevin McGuire, Troy Loney, Joey Koser, Ken Danico, uh, Francis Getty again, fought him twice. Uh, go on a couple of seasons later, you have Jay Miller, Bob McGill, uh, Rob Ray, Troy Millette, uh, and just some other names to throw out there. Chris King, Randy McKay, Shane Corson. And I remember the Shane Corson fight was in Edmonton. I think all of Richie's family was, uh, was at the game to watch that one. If I remember what they said on TV, um, you know, going through the rest of his career, he's fighting guys like Troy Loney again, Mark Potvin twice, Jimmy Cummins, Jamie Huscroft. Uh, and then we get into the mid nineties where the the rivalry with Lindros really heats up. He's on his fight card a few times, uh, guys like Dave Roche, uh, the season he had 291 penalty minutes. He had 11 fights that year fighting guys like Brendan Witt, who Islander fans are very familiar with. Uh, Warren Reichel. Richie was actually Warren Reichel's first NHL fight when Reichel was uh, recalled from Chicago. Uh, Steve McKenna, PJ Stock, Terry Karkner, Chris Tamer, uh, and his last fight with the Islanders, big Chris McAllister of Toronto. So, um, Richie is a guy who is not very popular with other teams' fans, but you're an Islander fan. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, and you know that you love Richie Pilon and you love the effort that he put in every night. So uh, I couldn't put him in my top 10, but I had to give him honorable mention. Now, on to my third honorable mention.
0: And we have uh, Zenon Konopka and Adam Mayer scrapping here early. Kanopka, the very experienced guy who led the NHL in fights and in penalty minutes a year ago,
1: scrapping here with Adam Mayer. The man simply known as Z. Zenin Kanopka. Now, Zenin Kanopka, unfortunately, was a short-term Islander, was only in the organization for one season, but what a season that was. Now, he was here during the 2010-11 season, which... As a lot of you know, the regular listeners know that I've talked about uh that season is a very special one for me because that is when uh my incident on the subway happened, and that team and and the guys on that team really took me in uh another guy that we'll talk about in a few minutes uh was the ringleader with that but uh you know Z was right there along with uh well actually two guys really that we're gonna talk about but um, that team is very special to me. The team means a lot to me. They, uh, From top to bottom, everybody was great to me, and uh, I got to know Z a little bit when, uh, when he was here. And what a season. Uh, 82 games, 307 penalty minutes, which is the second-highest single-season total in the history of the franchise, behind only Brian Kearns, 356, and 25 fights. I, I mean, there were times this season where you know i said it really it wasn't even that deep into the season it was obvious that you know Zen and kanopka was a big time leader on this team and uh really i don't think they were going to take the c away from anyone but uh kanopka really could have worn the captain c um and it was fun i mean you know listen they didn't uh, they didn't make the playoffs um could have but uh, but they had a really bad month. I think it was November. Uh, Gills talked about it in his interview, and I should know this. But uh, I think it was a really bad November that kind of set them back. But, uh, like I said, this team means means the world to me. And Kanopka was a huge part of it. I had actually lost a little interest in the game, and uh, I mentioned it in an article that was on the Islander website when when they did an article on me. And it was it's guys like Gills and, and Z and Matt Martin that kind of really grabbed a hold of me and brought me right back in because this team that year had Gillies, Kanopka, Matt Martin, Travis Hamanick, uh Michael Haley was on that team. Um, I mean, it was just, it was, you know, Dean Chenowt, Scotty Allen were the assistant coaches. What a fun group of guys. So just let's talk about Z's on-ice stuff. So 25 fights. Brandon Prust twice, Chris Stewart, Mike Brown, Travis Moen, Dan Carcillo twice, Kevin Westgarth, Adam McQuaid twice, Clarkson twice, uh, Adam Mayer, uh, Aaron Asham twice. You all know Aaron Asham, um, Mike Rupp, uh, let's see, Kyle Clifford, Matt Hendricks, Brad Staubitz. I mean, it, it, it goes really beyond the fights with Z because every time he was out there something could happen i mean he was he took a regular shift playing center always going he's i mean just a great chirper everything's going he he every fight he had the guy has a gas tank that doesn't empty it was just a real fun season having him here i don't know what happened why they didn't bring him back next season. I know there was a time where I was downstairs in the hallway where I saw Garth Snow's son wearing a and Kanopka t-shirt. So the fact that they didn't bring him back after this one season, it, it's shocking to me. So obviously he played one season. He led the team in penalty minutes that one season. He actually led the league that season, and it was the second year in a row that he led the league in penalty minutes. And this season, 2010-11, he led the team in fighting majors with the 25. Kanopka is a great story. Never drafted. Never drafted. uh, Came up through the Penguins organization, I believe. Uh, He signed with the Islanders as a free agent on July second, 2010. And unfortunately, like I said, was not re-signed. And he ended up signing with Ottawa uh, before 2011-2012 started. Uh, Kanopka has plenty of hardware. He is a 1998-99 Memorial Cup champion with Ottawa. He won the uh, OHL. He went, obviously, that year with Ottawa. He was also, They were also the OHL champ. Uh, OHL champion in 2000-2001 with Ottawa. And uh, in t- 2003-04 with the Idaho Steelheads, he won the Kelly Cup as the ECHL champion. So uh, I love me some Zen and Kanopka. Uh, guys, I am doing my best, to get him on the show. I think he would be an absolute, just amazing interview. So uh, I'm not going to give up. I don't know. I'd say it's 50-50 at best, but I'm not going to give up. I think he would be, like I said, just a fucking unreal interview. So hopefully I can get him on here. I'm trying. You people, I know you'll enjoy it. And now for my fourth and final honorable mention.
2: Johnston run into by McLeod and he gets right in his face, trying to get McLeod to go with him. He won't do it. Johnston finally pushed away from him by the linesman. Cody McLeod's not afraid to fight, but he doesn't want to give the Islanders anything in a 3-0 game. And now clubs are off. And Johnston trying to start something here. Four fights last season for Ross Johnson. He didn't lose any of them. Well, he caught right. McLeod with the right hand. McLeod stumbles, but stays on his feet and gets back after him as Johnston continues to pound away at Cody McLeod.
1: Ross, the boss, Johnston. I have to put Ross Johnston here. He is the future of the heavyweight division. And well, he's the president of the heavyweight division, he's also the future of the heavyweight division, and he's the current heavyweight on the New York Islanders. I love me some Ross Johnston. I hope he is a lifetime Islander. Um, He can play the game no matter what you other fans, what you fans of other teams say, this dude can play the game. I've been watching him since Bridgeport. His skating has improved. His puck handling has improved. But that's not why he's on this list. He's on this list because he's an ass kicker and his fighting has improved too. His balance has improved his speed, his hand speed has improved, his footwork has improved. This kid, I'm telling you, the sky's the limit. Let me let's talk a little bit about Ross the Boss Johnston. Ross Johnston never drafted. Uh what some people may or may not know is that Ross actually spent 2013 training camp with the Anaheim Ducks. I know that he played at least two rookie games, uh against the Kings, of course. Uh, and he had one game where he did very well on a scrap against Curtis McDermott who is now a regular with the Kings uh I wouldn't mind actually having Curtis McDermott here on the Islanders uh but Ross played there I mean he was in the middle of his junior career so um and that was before the uh he signed with the Islanders so uh, I guess you know the Ducks decided to not go that avenue which is perfectly fine with me uh and he did sign uh, contract with the Islanders on March 21st, 2015. So he made his uh, appearance in the 2014-15 preseason. I I know of only one fight he had with uh, Chris Breen of the Bruins. That was his That was his first fight, as far as I know. Uh, let me give you his total stats: 85 total games played. 202 career islanders penalty minutes which places him 75th on the list and 14 total regular season fights which places him 26th all-time on the islander list so ross johnson has led the team in penalty minutes twice he's led the team in fighting majors twice and he's tied tied for the team lead in preseason fighting majors three times and uh unfortunately no playoff stats now Ross Johnson's numbers are not going to be as gaudy as some of the older players because of the time he's playing in. Uh, And listen, that's not his fault. Um, Let's talk about some of the guys he's fought now. Uh, First preseason, Christopher Breen. Second preseason, 2016-17, Liam O'Brien. 2017-18, played 24 games with the Islanders, led the team with 62 penalty minutes, four fights, which also led the team. Uh, Ryan Hartman, Chicago, Ryan Lomberg, who uh, I've talked about with both Mike Cornell and Joey Diamond. Uh, they played with him in college. And uh, while both of them were like, oh my God, he's fighting Ross Johnston, neither were surprised at uh, the balls that he had fighting the big boy. Uh, he also fought, uh, well, he, Ross Johnston also fought Garnet Hathaway that year. And everyone's favorite, Tom Wilson. Go back and watch the Tom Wilson fight. I know everyone thinks I bitch on Tom Wilson, but yes, he did run from Eric Bolton. The facts are the facts. And watch the fight with Ross Johnston. Ross Johnston basically has to take Tom Wilson's gloves off to get him to fight. Uh, A couple other guys that Ross has fought uh, during his time with the Islanders, Cody McLeod, um, Curtis Gabriel, Michael Haley, Josh Brown, Chris Stewart, um, Michael haley again, uh, Garnet Hathaway again. This time uh Garnet Hathaway was with the Capitals, the first time he was with Calgary. Of course, he had the big heavyweight tilt with Ryan Reeves in 2019-20, right off the face-off. And uh unfortunately this past year only got into 12 games, only had the one fight, which was a rematch from uh, an American league fight that these two boys had. And that was against uh, Samuel Moran, who was with the flyers. So um, to me, you know, this is a kid. He has to be part of this organization for a very long time. I know people liken his journey to Tom Wilson in the NHL. Uh, Tom Wilson was a first round pick, I believe. So there's that difference there, but, with Barry Trotz as the head coach, I I think that uh, you know Trotz Lula Murillo has confidence in him. I think that Ross is with the right team, with the right coach, with the right management. Guys, the the brass loves him. The brass loves this kid. So let's you know this is a kid that I hope is here for ten years. So uh, Ross, the boss, my final honorable mention. And with that, it brings us. To number ten, from center ice and in, Martin lining up Truba,
2: finished his check and sends him stumbling down to the ice. Oh, he's oh, hurting. he can't get up. Oh, he's Truba's in trouble.
0: Yeah, he is definitely.
2: Matt Martin just shakes the knees of Jacob Truba, and he cannot stand up on his own. Scary sight there, Matt Martin with the big hit on Truba. Well, Matt Martin has a reputation as a big hitter and a clean player. And
1: Jacob Truba got him first, and Matt Martin
2: returned the favor.
1: Matt Martin. Matty Martz. You know, I think what you should know is everybody that I talk to that has played with Matt Martin always says the same thing. I fucking love that guy that everybody, everybody says the exact same thing about Matt Martin, that they love him. They love him as a person. They especially love him as a teammate. And I'm not just talking about uh, other enforcers. Everybody that I know that has played with this kid loves him. I love him. Sydney loves him. You should love him too if you're listening to this show. Matt Martin is my number 10 all-time Islander enforcer. Let's get down to nuts and bolts here. Let me throw some numbers at you. Matt Martin has played 614 regular season games for the Islanders. He has 809 career penalty minutes with the Islanders, which currently puts him at ninth and 74 career regular season fighting majors, which currently places him fourth behind some pretty big names. He's in very good company there. Matt Martin has led the team in penalty minutes three times He's led the team in fighting majors six times. He's tied for the team lead in preseason fighting majors once. Matt Martin has played 73 playoff games, has 109 penalty minutes, and five fighting majors in the playoffs. He's led the team in playoff fighting majors once, and he's led the team in playoff penalty minutes once. So (laughs) I love this guy. I do. I love him. Uh, Matt Martin was originally a fifth-round pick of the Islanders in 2008. Um, He did have that little two-year sojourn to Toronto. Uh, He signed with the Leafs on the first day of free agency in 2016. But thankfully, um, he returned to the Islanders on July 3rd, 2018, traded for Eamon McAdam. So let's talk about Matt Martin's fight card here for a bit. Matt Martin, Uh, starting with the 2009-10 preseason, he fought four times. Mark Giordano, Sean O'Donnell, Wayne Simmons, and Rob Davison. And then we jump right into regular season. Five games played that year, two fights, Tyler Kennedy and former Islander Nate Thompson. Then he becomes a regular in 2010-11. 68 games played, 147 pimps, 13 fights, uh, Hal Gill, Zach Smith twice, Kevin Westgarth, uh, Michael Sauer twice, Georgie Parros, Tanner Glass, David Clarkson, um, Maxime Talbot. I think we all remember that game. Uh, yeah, I think we do. That was a fun game. Uh, B.J. Crombie, Sean O'Donnell again. Uh, so that was really his, his rookie year, his first full season. Uh, fortunately I got to know him a little bit that year and I'm proud to say that he's been a friend ever since. And, um, so that just goes from his first year as we move on, uh, 2011, 12 led the team in penalty minutes and fights, uh, Adam McQuaid, Brandon Pruss, Zach Cassian, Stu Bickle twice, uh, former Islander, Joe Finley, uh, Zach Smith again, uh, Wayne Simmons again, Derek Dorsett twice. Uh, move on to 2012-13, seven fights in 48 games. Uh, rematch with B.J. Crombie, Tanner Glass again, Wayne Simmons again. Uh, future teammate, Braden Coburn, Tom Kasopoulos, uh Braden Shen. Let's see, 2013-14, 10 more fights in 79 games. Derek Dorsett again. Uh, let's see, Tim Jackman, two times. B.J. Crombie again, Tanner Glass again. Chris Thorburn, uh, Mark Fraser, who had fought in a preseason a couple of seasons prior to that. Uh, Nine fights, 114 minutes, led the team in both categories in 2014-15. Jay Harrison, I believe he fought him earlier in his career. Wayne Simmons again. Tom Wilson twice. Mark Fraser again. I have to ask him about that. It might be a little beef with those guys. Maybe it's probably just on the ice. Uh, Brandon Prust again. 2015-16, 2015-16, led the team in pims and fights again. Adam McQuaid again. Kevin Bieksa, the only watchable person on the panel now for Hockey Night in Canada. Although I do love me some Kelly Rudy. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that he says. Uh, Wayne Simmons, again. Braden Coburn, again. Josh Manson. Uh, I always say his name wrong. Mark Boroweski. Uh, Borowiecki. I can't say his name. I can never say his name. Sorry, Mark. I know you're not listening anyway, but fought him uh, once. Uh, Brandon Bolig, he fought twice. Derek Dorsett again. fought. Oh, oh, and then we get to the two years with Toronto. uh, The Dark Ages, as I call them, but then comes back with a bang. 67 games in 2018-19. Scraps with uh, Borowiecki. Borowiecki uh, Cody McLeod, and the first bout he ever had with Zidane O'Chara. And, you know, and obviously now as the game has changed, as he's come back to the Islanders, he's had a couple of seasons. He's had two fights, two fights in the playoffs. Uh, you know, fought Luke Shen in last year's playoffs, this year's playoffs. Zidane Chara twice this year. Uh, Jared Tenorti this year in the playoffs. Pat Maroon. So here's the deal with Matt Martin. Matt Martin is a guy who doesn't – I don't think at this point in his career really needs to fight anymore. I think, you know, I I like seeing him fight. I'm not going to lie. One of the best hitters in the league. But Matt Martin has proven that he could play the game. And where he has really proven it, and I don't know, are there Matt Martin haters out there? I can't imagine there are. Maybe Rangers fans or Tampa fans. I don't know. Maybe Lee fans because they're pissed he's not there anymore. But if you have watched Matt Martin in the playoffs over the last two seasons, I mean, the guy gives 100% on every shift. And maybe it's just because there's more eyeballs watching the playoffs, but he's getting a lot more press for the way he's played in the playoffs the last two years, getting a lot more attention from people who normally don't watch the Islanders. But, you know, this is a guy, and and unfortunately, you know, part of the best fourth line in hockey, which unfortunately may not be a thing next season. Casey Zizekas, unrestricted free agent. I hope he's back. Uh, get the band back together. Uh, Zizekas, Clutterbuck Martin. I know uh, you know, I've posted on social media before the letter that uh Don Cherry wrote me after I sent him a copy of my book, and even in that letter, uh, he mentioned to me, Boy, you must love Martin Clutterbuck and Zizekas and You know, that's just, I mean, Don Cherry's a god, so let's just leave that. There it is. But even he mentioned Matt Martin in the letter to me, and uh, that line is second to none as far as fourth lines go. Uh, Could probably be a third line, if we're being honest. Uh, But hopefully uh, Casey returns and the line is intact. Um, But Matt Martin really is... I'm going to say this in people that only follow the scorers and, and, uh, you know, goalies or whatever. I mean, I I will go out on a limb for this and say, Matt Martin really is one of the faces of this franchise. He's one of the most popular players. You walk around the concourse, there's 17 Martin jerseys all over the place, uh, t-shirts all over the place. I mean, he is one of the most popular players that this organization has ever seen. I mean, I you got to give the guy his due. And part of that is because of his style of play. Part of that is his personality. He's amazing with the fans and, and just an all-around great guy. My number 10, Matt Martin. Just a few more things I want to say. Matt Martin has led the NHL in hits. And I don't know. I have him leading the league for five seasons. I don't know how official these hits are numbers actually are. So I wouldn't be surprised if he actually led the league more. But officially he's led the league uh in five seasons from twenty eleven twelve through twenty fifteen sixteen. I wouldn't be surprised if he's led the league more than that. Uh also for Islander fans, he's won the Bob nystrom Award six times. Twenty eleven twelve through twenty fifteen sixteen inclusive. And then again in 2019-20. So when you win an award named after Bob Nystrom as an Islander, you kind of know what kind of player that is. And, uh, you know, everybody knows Bobby Nystrom, not just a scrapper, could play the game, hard hitter, Matt Martin, modern-day Bob Nystrom. I don't think that can be argued. And, uh, you know, for myself, I'm just happy that he's back here, and I hope that he retires as an Islander someday. But no time soon. So that's my number 10, Matty Martin. Now on to number nine. Now
0: we got a fight. Walker and Belanger. Scott Walker of the Canucks. Newly acquired Ken Belanger, number 33 in white for the Islanders. They're trading haymakers. Are any of them landing? Looks like Belanger's gotten a couple in on Walker. And now Belanger's trying to make a deposit into the Islander bench. And he's about to finish the transaction.
1: Kenny Bam Bam Belanger. I have Kenny Belanger, number nine on my list of all-time Islanders enforcers. Kenny Belanger, guest for episode 51. I was really happy to add Kenny to the stable of interviews. Uh, Obviously, I'm a monster fan of Ken Belanger. I'm sure you are, too, if you're listening to this. By the way, I didn't say it before I stopped recording. Wow, did you hear that thunder? Holy shit. I didn't say it before I stopped recording for the Matt Martin segment. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of getting Matt Martin on the show while he is playing for the Islanders, but hopefully when he retires, I'll be able to get him on the show. And because of the length of his career, it'll be a very long interview. Now back to Bam Bam number nine, Kenny Belanger, Kenny Belanger, like I said, guest for episode number 51. His total numbers with the Islanders, 71 games played, 260 penalty minutes, which ties him for 58th all-time in Islanders history, 26 fighting majors tied for 17th all-time. Unfortunately, no playoff games with the Islanders. Uh, As far as leaderboard, uh, Kenny tied for the team lead in fighting majors one time, and that was 1997-98. Uh, Kenny Belanger, originally a draft pick by the Mighty Whale, the Hartford Whalers, back in 1992, selected in the seventh round, 153rd overall, came to the Islanders with Damian Rhodes from Toronto on January 23rd, 1996, for future considerations. And I think that was a trade that had uh, Islanders, Toronto, and Ottawa. It was a three-way deal. And the part of the trade that involved Kenny Belanger was that him and Roads to the Islanders for futures, and his departure, he uh, he left the Islanders on November seventh, nineteen ninety eight, for Ted Donato. He went, uh, Kenny went to the Bruins to team up with Kenny Baumgartner. Islanders got Ted Donato, a Mike Milbury guy, so there's no surprise there. Uh, Ken Belanger really. Made an impact with the Islanders. His first uh, season coming over with that trade, he played seven games. Spent most of the time in Kentucky. Had uh, one fight with Scott Walker where he dumped him into the bench. Um, then starting the next season, he played 18 games and 37 games the season after. Uh, 12 fights in 18 games in 1996-97. 90, uh, fought Scott Daniels twice, Rudy Poshek twice, Paul Laws, Bobby Bugner, Jeff Odgers. Dean Malcock twice, Mike Peluso, and Stu Grimson. In 97-98, where he had 11 fights, fought Darren Langdon twice, Ty Domi, Paul Laws three times, Turner Stevenson, Steve McKenna, Jimmy Cummins, uh, Luke Richardson, and Scott Thornton. And then in 1998-99, that was the year he was traded to Boston, nine games, 30 PIMS, two fights, Sean Brown of Edmonton and Keith Primo of Carolina. So I don't really understand why, uh, Milbury w- was constantly with the up and down with Ken Boulanger, with Kentucky, and the Islanders. Uh, you know, Kenny was an AHL All Star with St. John's. He had proven that he could play the game, and everybody knew what he could do with his gloves off. So, uh, when I interviewed Kenny, you know, he was talking about his, uh, Series of fights with Paul Laws. And, you know, he says, you know, uh, his kids or other kids, whatever, they they see, uh, you know, not just kids, but they, they go on YouTube and they see Ken Belanger and they see the fight with Paul Laws where uh, he got the concussion. And he's like, yeah, you know, the first fight I did pretty well, but uh, that's the one I think everyone, uh, everyone associates with Kenny. And that's sort of a shame because this dude, when he was with the Islanders, man, there were so many nights where he got that left going and it was curtains for his opponents. It was lights out. It was lights out for anybody that challenged uh, Kenny Belanger here during his time with the Islanders. So, um, you know, he, his time here and his career was much more than the series with Paul laws and the one fight in particular. And, um, if you want to hear a good story, I encourage you. Well, Kenny had a bunch of good stories in the interview, but probably the two two that stand out were um, the, we talked about he had a practice fight with Todd Bertuzzi back when they were both in the OHL with Guelph and also uh, actually getting to fight Jim Cummins because something had happened prior to Kenny coming to the Islanders on the ice while he was uh, with Toronto and he finally was able to fight Jimmy and get his revenge. So, uh, But like I said, check out this dude's fight card. He had elite the left. He was a big dude, great guy. Uh, number nine on my list for all-time Islander enforcers, Mister Kenny Bam Bam Belanger. Now we get to number eight.
0: So he he was ready for this fight, and this is the right thing to do. If you're going to fool around with your top stars, your young players, watch this play. This is one one thousand. Now that was a little bit late, and of course Tavares's back was turned. So that was a, a, a good jump in for, for Gillies. Watch Tavares. This is you wow. know, not expecting this, and you're right. This was a little bit late. Could have been interference, couldn't it? And it could have been interference. They're hitting from behind. And so Gillies does the right thing here. But you know what, But you, uh, of everybody in this building who appreciated that, you heard the fans, you saw some of the Islanders, no one appreciated it more than John Tavares, who went straight from the Islander bench. As that skirmish developed, Tavares had gone to the Islander bench. He came away from the bench, skated all the way to the penalty box after Gillies had sat down and pumped fists with him to appreciate the fact that he stood up for him. Oh, that, no, that's actually what the, why this team is so close. They appreciate what each other does for him. they know what gillies function is they know what a difficult job that is to drop your gloves and go at it and you see the beating that bowl took <laughs> because we were able to get in tight on a couple of those punches that gillies landed
1: to bowl's cheek well they did some damage yeah, They,
2: they really did
1: whether you call him trevor gills or the gill train no need to worry because this dude has your back my number eight all-time islander enforcer is Trevor Gillies. Now, here's the cool thing about Trevor Gillies. Obviously, if you're familiar with this show, he was my episode 48 guest, and we've done four parts so far. We haven't even finished yet. If I had to guess, I'd say we might be looking at two more parts because um the guy has a memory like an elephant. He remembers everything, and, I mean, he's just... To say he's a great guest is an understatement But here's, here's the cool thing about Trevor Gillies' time with the Islanders And I said this to him And I don't remember if I said it While we were recording or not But Trevor Gillies Only played 53 regular season games for the Islanders And I say only In terms of comparing His Islander tenure With the other guys on this list 53 games is the lowest number of anyone on this list, including the honorable mentions. And when I say only 53 games, to me, it's relative to the impact that he made here with the Islanders and with the fans. Because if I, if you go to an Islander game and you talk to the fans and you ask them how many games Trevor Gillies played for the Islanders, there's no chance anyone says 53. Because he made such an impact here with this organization that you figure he played a couple of hundred games because he's, what he did was he made so many memories. He made, I mean, everywhere he goes, the dude makes an army of fans, but he made such an impact. And I know I've said that already, but it's true. I, I can't state it enough. The dude made an impact here with the fans and he, he does it everywhere he goes. And that's why when I say only 53 games, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it in a, Holy shit, he only played 53 games. And look at the legacy that he left here with the Islanders and with with Islander fans. So, as I said, Gills was uh, episode 48 guest, four-part series so far. Cool thing about Gills, he played 20 years pro, never drafted, never drafted. So, everything that he accomplished in the league, he had to fight, claw, and scratch to get. Never drafted at 20-year NHL career. How he became an Islander He first signed with Bridgeport On September 14th 2009 and then When the Islanders wanted To call him up he had to sign With the Islanders because he was only under Contract to Bridgeport signed with the Islanders on January 28th 2010 so Really I'm just going to Say some things here now but Gills is a literal Open book in our interview so any Anything you need to know other than the really the CliffsNotes version that I'm going to give you right now, go back and listen because, I mean, basically, I think he's given me everything from birth so far in our chat. But Trevor Gillies, 53 regular season games played for the Islanders, 240 penalty minutes. I mean, think about what that would be over an 82-game season. 53 games, 240 penalty minutes. 240 pimps puts him 65th all time. 14 regular season fights, which puts him 26th all time on the Islander list. As is a theme with some of these guys, unfortunately, no playoffs game, no playoff games for the Gill train. Uh, Gills led the team in preseason fighting majors one time, and he tied for the team lead in preseason fighting majors one time. Uh, that, well, let's talk about 2009-10 first. Uh, 14 games played, five fights, uh, Brandon Prust, Riley Cote, Matt Carkner, Mike Rupp, and Pierre-Luc Letourneau LeBlanc. So five really, really tough guys on that list to get it going here for Gills. Part of the first year that uh, Gills played in um, 2009, 10 And, I didn't make a note of this, but let's see how good my memory is. I'm pretty sure that that year he played 14 games at 75 PIMS. And I think he was third on the team in penalty minutes. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I should have done this beforehand, but uh, yeah, third on the team in penalty minutes that year with the Islanders, despite no, (laughs) look at me. I'm wrong. Second on the team in penalty minutes. Tim Jackman led the team in PIMS that year, 98 penalty minutes in 54 games. Number two on the list, Trevor Gillies, 75 penalty minutes, 14 games, two more minutes than Andy Sutton, who played 40 more games than Gills. So I stand corrected, but I'm happy I stand corrected. 14 games, 75 penalty minutes that first year with the Islanders. The next year, the 2010-11 season, I alluded to this earlier when I talked about Zen and Kanopka. Um, That's when Gills and I really got to know each other and became friends. And Gills really was the catalyst for me. uh, You know, take it. Like I said, I said a million times, Islanders took me in. I sound like a homeless person. But uh, basically the organization just gave me like a giant hug after everything I'd been through. And uh, Gills was really at the uh, the epicenter of that. So uh, Gills is, uh, you know, I, I consider him like a brother, um, you know, means the world to me. And this season really was a fun year. Obviously, uh, 39 games, 165 PIMS, nine fights. Uh, let's rattle off some big boy names again. Uh, DJ King, Eric Goddard three times, Jared Bowl. Uh Derek Bougard, the rematch, uh Sean Thornton, Sheldon Brookbank, uh, Sheldon Brookbank, and Paul Bissonette. And of course, one of the Goddard fights happened in the revenge game. And uh unfortunately for that game he was suspended nine games and uh took a lot of shit in the media. We talk about this. I think it was in uh episode four of our series. We talk about the penguin stuff, took a lot of shit from the media. And they really didn't know what they were talking about. And, uh, but Gills was suspended nine games for that came back first game back. I think I said it in the interview. I made sure I was in the crowd for that game against Minnesota. And what happens? He hits Cal Clutterbuck. Yes. The same Cal Clutterbuck who is currently on the Islanders and Clutterbuck goes down like a ton of bricks. Doesn't get up until Gills is ejected from the game. Then miraculously he got up. So, You know, look, I love Cal Clutterbuck. He did his job that game, but I was real bitter for a while because, of course, after that, now Gills gets suspended for 10 games. So I was like, come on with this shit. But I love Cal Clutterbuck. He did what he had to do that game, but I was not happy with him that day. Uh, And then the next season, uh, Gills had two preseason fights with Cam Jansen, who was with the Devils at the time, and then he played the rest of the season in Bridgeport. So, for a guy with 53 games on his resume to be put. And, and it's not just me. I'm pretty sure everybody that would put together a top 10 Islander list would have Trevor Gillies in it. And it really is, like I say, a testament to the legacy that he left here and uh, stay tuned. We've had discussions about when we are going to continue our series, probably after the final, which uh, I think will probably end tomorrow as far as I know, but, uh, but, who knows but we'll get at it again and uh and you know if you've listened to the first four you know that gills is a is a ridiculously amazing guest so uh so stay tuned for that now we move on to number seven
0: look at this oh that's fedora but it's goddard and goddard
1: and Fedoric
0: trying to take the aggressive stance but just through one little jab and Goddard grabbed them and they continue to hold each other off. Goddard trying to get that right hand loose. Throws a couple of haymakers. And it's Fedorik returning fire. They trade. Big right hands. Oh, Goddard just got one. Right to the cheek of Fedorik. He's off balance now. Goddard continues to get the better of Todd Fedoric while the linesmen let him go. Now they're tangled up with each other. And Goddard gets another line in. Stopping that left by Fedorik. Fedorik throws a couple, and Goddard answers. And now Pat Dapuzo and Johnny Murray will pry him apart.
1: Eric Goddard. Now, there are some really cool nicknames in sports. Uh, I've always said that my two favorite nicknames in sports history are are the Dean of Mean for Keith Jardine, who is my favorite uh, MMA fighter, and also the Grim Reaper for Stu Grimson. But those two nicknames don't really fit if neither one of those guys is an ass kicker, which they both were. So you can't walk around with a nickname like the Grim Reaper and play like Willie Huber. Or, uh, well, you can't walk around with a nickname like the Dean of Mean And uh, be an MMA fighter, that's for sure. So, um, but when you have a nickname, and obviously the nickname plays on one of the names, you know, Dean of Mean rhymes with Jardine, Grim Reaper, Grimson. Eric Goddard's nickname is the Hand of God. So obviously that's a play on his last name. But if Eric Goddard threw pillows, the nickname doesn't work. But Eric Goddard, did not throw pillows. Eric Goddard hit to hurt, and he did. Uh, Eric Goddard was never drafted, similar to Trevor Gillies. Um, and Eric Goddard actually started out with Florida. And how he became an Islander, how he, how he first uh, went on their radar, was uh, Florida's farm team, Louisville, had a ton of guys. ton of muscle on that team. Rocky Thompson, Brent Thompson, uh Let me see, I can't remember Uh, Joey Tedarenko may have been there Uh, They had probably six or seven guys on that team And Goddard was, I believe, the youngest gun there Mike Cirillo, I think, was on that team Goddard was the youngest gun there And he just was not going to play on that Louisville team So I guess Florida worked it out with the Islanders Where they loaned Goddard to Bridgeport So Goddard's first season with Bridgeport, when you see those numbers, he actually was not a part of the Islander organization at that point. He was still a member of the Florida Panthers. And uh, I guess the Islanders had, you know, they had to like what they saw because the dude was a Terminator. And uh, the Islanders traded uh, Greg Campbell to Florida for Goddard on June 23rd, 2002. Unfortunately, His Islanders tenure came to an end when he signed with Calgary on August 10th, 2006. Uh, Eric Goddard led the Western League in penalty minutes in 1999-2000 with 310 with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And remember one thing about Western Hockey League penalty minutes. They don't include the 10-minute misconducts in their totals. So those are all fives and tens. Eric Goddard. First burst on the scene with the Islanders in 2002-03 in the preseason. Four fights: Turner Stevenson twice, Donald Brashear and Jim McKenzie. I mean, if Turner Stevenson is the least renowned fighter on your list as a as a rookie, basically for the preseason, that's saying something. Because Brashear, whether you like him or not, I mean, look, dude's tough as nails. Top ten on almost everyone's list. And, of course, Jimmy McKenzie. Everybody knows how I feel about Jimmy McKenzie. I'm glad he's a friend. I wouldn't want to have to take any punches from him. But that season, Goddard made his regular season debut at the Islanders, playing 19 games, 48 penalty minutes, and eight fights in those 19 games. Uh, Ty Domi, Chris Dingman, Peter Worrell, PJ Stock, Todd Fedoric, Andre Waugh, Francis Lassard. Now, who was the eighth guy he fought, and it was actually his second fight, Andreas Lilia. I don't remember what happened in that. I'm guessing that Lilia, maybe I honestly don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know what Lilia was thinking. I give him full marks, but probably not the smartest decision that Lilia has ever made in his life. Picking up where he left off, the previous season in 2003-04, he uh, tied for the team lead in fights in the preseason with two fighting Steve McKenna and David Kochi. Then in the regular season, playing 31 games with the Islanders, 97 Pims, 13 scraps, Andrew Peters, Brian Marchman, Ty Domi again, Donald Brashear again, Wade Brookbank, Lyle Odelein, uh and uh, Jody Shelley, Chris Dingman again, Wade Belak, Eric Bolton, Dan Lakator, Chris Simon, Reed Lowe. Again, he doesn't go after the little guys. Not at all. Next season, uh, Milan Gersena and Dale Purinton in the preseason. You know, Milan Gersena, again, I don't know what he's thinking, but good on him. And that season, that was the season that Goddard, uh, after, if if we're being honest, you know, the first couple of seasons riding shotgun with Eric Cairns. Cairns was the more experienced guy. And they made an unbelievable tag team, probably one of the scariest duos that ever played in this league. Um, In 05-06, Cairns had signed with Florida. So uh, Goddard was the main guy. He had help, but he was the primary heavyweight. Uh, That year, 115 penalty minutes led the team. 14 fights led the team in 57 games. Uh, Donald Brashear again. That was the year of the trilogy with Brian McGratton. What a fun set of fights that was. Uh, Darren Langdon, George Laroque, Brad May, Chris Simon again, Colt Orr twice, Eric Bolton again, and he fought Eric Cairns as Cairns was a member of the Florida Panthers. So I don't think I went over his numbers. Let me go over those. 107 career games played with the Islanders for Goddard, 260 penalty minutes, tied for 58th, and I believe, let me see, yeah, tied with Kenny Belanger. Uh, For 58th all-time in penalty minutes in the history of the franchise. And he ranks 13th in fighting majors with 35. Uh, He led the team in penalty minutes one time. Led the team in fighting majors once. Led the team in preseason fighting majors twice, which is what you're really looking for with your young up-and-coming heavyweights. And he tied for the team lead in preseason fighting majors one time. Uh, Goddard was also a member of the 2008-09 Stanley Cup champion, Pittsburgh Penguins. And, of course, he was involved in the revenge game. But on the bad guys, the Pittsburgh Penguins, he ended up fighting uh, Trevor Gillies. And then he was suspended 10 games for coming off the bench during the whole melee with Michael Haley and Brent Johnson and the brouhaha that ensued. So, um, But Eric Goddard will always be fondly remembered in this household as a New York Islander. I have reached out to people who know Eric Goddard. Uh, I wouldn't say pleading, but stating my case that I would love to get Eric Goddard on this program. Uh, I have was fortunate enough to meet Eric a few times with the Islanders. um, And I have done everything I could do to make contact with the big fella. I have not been able to make contact with him. I don't know if he's interested or not, but I'm trying, folks. I'm trying. Uh, you know, I if I am everybody on this list who hasn't been on the show, I want them on the show. Eric Goddard is someone I want on the show. So if there's anybody out there that knows this man, help me out. Help me out, please. I think it would be an amazing interview. Well, I know it would be an amazing interview. And as I always say, it has nothing to do with me. Please hand of god eric goddard let's go let's chop it up here as trevor gillies always says let's chop it up let's talk about your career big boy all right that brings us to number six be a forward here he practiced
0: as a forward a couple of times but i don't think bomb can get the length of the ice and put the puck in from the drop i don't think that's what either coach has in mind here 18. Jansen Centroche on the draw. We'll keep an eye on the tough guys from both teams. This may not be over. Baumgartner is circling. He's got the bomb sight set on someone. He is just roving, waiting for the puck to be dropped. A
1: spinning, spinning. Who's he going to go after? The drops, and goes right to King The bomber, Kenny Baumgartner. Now, the bomber, as I just went on and on about how I want to get Eric Goddard on the show and how I said I would love to get everybody on this list on the show. Uh folks, I can promise you I stand little to no chance of getting the bomber on the show. Uh Bomber is a guy who was never keen on talking about his fighting although he was very good at it. Uh and one of the best in the history of the team. Uh and, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that during his career that's what people wanted to talk about. And I can't speak for how often and how much he played with LA and how many shifts he got. What I can say is uh, watching him play on the Islanders, watching him play every shift on the Islanders, um, you know, dude, Kenny Baumgartner was a solid defenseman, a definite top six defenseman definitely could play against anybody. So uh, I, I kind of understand where he's coming from, although I'm not happy about it. But uh, if uh, this happens to cross anyone's ears that knows Kenny and, Maybe he just wants to talk about his career once where we focus on some of the fighting. I I mean, honestly, I would do an interview with Kenny where we just talk about his Islander time. I wouldn't, as much as I'd love to do a career piece with him, I would love to just break it down, break down his seasons with the Islanders. I would be happy with that. So if anybody has any connections with the Bomber, that could help me out. Uh, I would appreciate that. But let's get down to it. Kenny Baumgartner. Originally a 12th round pick in 1985 by the Buffalo Sabres, 245th overall. He became an Islander on November 29th, 1989, and I have told this story a million times. I was on my way to school. I was going to St. John's University, and I was listening to Imus in the Morning, and Imus had uh, Mike Breen, I believe, was doing the sports at the time, and he said the Islanders traded Miko Makala to LA for Ken Baumgartner and Hubie McDonough. And I literally, literally almost drove off the Grand Central Parkway in delight because I could not believe the Islanders got Ken Baumgartner and Hubie McDonough. And I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about Hubie McDonough at the time for Miko Makala. I mean, unbelievable steal there for uh, the architect, Bill Bill Torrey. Uh, unbelievable. That is a true story. And unfortunately, his uh, Islander tenure came to an end on March 10th, 1992, when he was traded with Dave McIlwain to Toronto for Daniel Marois and Claude Loizel. Uh I don't know if his status as vice president of the NHLPA had anything to do with that trade, but what was done was done. And, um, you know, I'm sure he enjoyed playing back in Canada, but that was a really sad day for me and for a lot of Islander fans. Like I always say, you know, back then, it was uh, a Patty LaFontaine team. Everybody in the arena had number 16 jerseys on. And uh, after getting Bomber, it didn't take long where you you continued to see your number 16s. But now all of a sudden, there's a 24 and there's a 24 and there's a 24 and there's a 24. And I think a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, his look. He wore the old Jaffa Broomball helmet. He had the long blonde hair. Mick Fakoda called him, you know, he said he's Hollywood. And, uh, you know, so a lot of it had to do with the look, and I think a lot of it had to do with playing with Mick. I, I think, uh, you know, Bomber and Mick made, uh, you know, they were fun to watch, man. Those two guys played against each other in junior, and, uh, and I always say, especially about Mick Fakoda, brought that Western League attitude to the NHL, and those two guys together, They really fed off each other, and, um, you know, that was a fun time here. So Kenny played 175 games with the Islanders, had 678 penalty minutes, which ranks him 14th in team history, and 51 regular season fights, which ranks him 10th in team history. Uh, Four playoff games, 27 penalty minutes, and one fight, which we'll talk about uh, in a moment. Uh, Before he was an Islander, in the Western League, as I mentioned, he was a Memorial Cup champion with the Prince Albert Raiders, team that Rod Dahlman also played on. And in 83-84, he was the recipient of the Darrell K. Seaman Award while he was with Prince Albert as the WHL Scholastic Player of the Year. If you know anything about Ken Baumgartner, you know that academics was always very important to him, so this is absolutely no surprise that he won an award, an academic award during his time while he was terrorizing the Western league. He was also terrorizing tests and uh, probably getting hundreds or A's. However, they graded it back then. Um, Ken Baumgartner came to the Islanders in 89, 90, 53 games played, 194 penalty minutes, 13 fights. Uh, Ed Kastelik twice, David Maley, Troy Loney, Alan May always had a running feud with Alan May. It seemed like Bob McGill, Tony Horacek, Joey Koser, Kelly Chase, the Kelly Chase fight, one of the best defensive fights I've ever seen. Uh two real technical guys going at it. And a lot of a lot of bobbing and weaving and ducking under punches. Uh definitely one that you definitely want to check out. That's why I must have said definitely twice. Uh Tim Hunter and Brian Kern, who was with the Leafs at the time. Nineteen ninety ninety one. That was uh the big year here. Seventy-eight games played. 282 penalty minutes Which is the 6th highest total For a single season in Islanders history 282 penalty minutes Led the team Also led the team in fighting majors with 21 Uh, Fought Al Stewart Marty McSorley, Dale Kushner Craig Berube Ed Kastelik three more times Troy Crowder, and this was during Troy Crowder's uh, Reign of Terror that year Uh, That was a draw with uh, Kenny Uh, Mike Peluso Serge Roberge Mike Hartman, Darren Kimball, Alan May, Todd Ewan, Ty Domi, Ken Danico, Tim Hunter again, Graham Townsend, and Shane Stevenson. Um, Go back and listen to my Graham Townsend episode. Uh, Great story about uh, Graham's fight with Kenny and the uh, subsequent Shane Stevenson fight that Shane had with Kenny. 1991-92, prior to the trade, 44 games with the Islanders, 202 penalty minutes, 17 fights. Lyndon Byers, Chris Nyland, Ty Domi again, Mike Hartman, Luke Richardson, Perry Anderson, Randy McKay, Joey Kosar again, Basil McRae two more times, Alan May two more times, Mike Peluso again, Dave Brown, Craig Berube, and Ty Domi again. Now, of course, I skipped the one playoff fight. That was against the Rangers. That was against Chris King. That was when uh, that was the uh, audio that I played prior to talking about Kenny. That was, of course, the game against the Rangers where James Patrick uh, hit Pat Lafontaine high. Pat Lafontaine was carted off and uh, carted off into an ambulance. That was subsequently shaken by the classy Rangers fans. And when you have a guy like Ken Baumgartner on the bench and you have a guy like Mick Fakoda on the bench. Guys like Gary Nyland, Gerald Diddick, guys that were on the ice at the time, even Brian Trottier, that stuff is not going to be taken lightly. And the guys did what they had to do. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Mick and Kenny were suspended. But um, still one of my highlights as an Islander fan was watching that game and uh, seeing uh, the boys do the job at the end, stepping up for Patty LaFontaine and – if you've never seen that, I would definitely go on YouTube and, uh, and watch it. But chances are, if you're listening to this, you know, the playoff incident I'm talking about. So, uh, Kenny Baumgartner is my number six. So now we're going to get into the top five. And before we talk about number five, I just would like to say what I say. I've said it a million times. The top five Islander fighters, I would put them up against anybody's top five fighters. Also. I feel like I can make a case for each one of these guys to be number one on this list. I honestly feel like each one of these guys can stake a claim to being number one on this list. So making these guys, ranking them from five to one was not easy. It's not as easy as you think for someone like myself. I know a couple of people on Twitter. As soon as I said, I was putting this out right away threw some names out and, you know, it's not as obvious, in my opinion, when you break it down like I did. Uh, it's not as obvious as you think. But I just want to say that just because a guy is ranked five, four, three, or two, I still think they could be number one. uh and, But only one can be number one. So, with that being said, let's talk about number five.
2: Intercept, Howlett, looking for a man in front. Takes Butler down and then gives him a pretty good shot. And how it is going to account for it in a big way? There's no doubt what the Islanders thought is
0: how
1: it goes after Jerry Butler in a very ferocious manner. You know, nowadays on social media, I think it's the kids. They type it a lot, and it really doesn't apply. But you'll often see kids say "savage." That dude is savage. That chirp was savage, and it really never is. My number five is a legitimate savage. That is the hitman, Gary Howitt, also known as the Toy Tiger. Gary Howitt is savage. Uh, Austin Matthews chirping someone, not savage, not even close. Gary Howitt is a savage. Ask anyone who played with him or against him. I love this guy. And I honestly feel like Gary Howitt does not get his due. And honestly, I don't know if me putting him at number five is giving him his due. Um, I think a lot of times because of the success of the team and guys like Bob Nystrom and Clark Gillies, I think a lot and and their, their prominence, not just on the ice, but in the community at large. uh, I think Gary Howitt gets forgotten and that's a shame. That's a shame because I've always said I think the presence of Gary Howitt enabled guys like Bob Nystrom and Clark Gillies to do other things besides fight. And while they could fight with the best of them, um, they could also play. Let's say they may be considered more skilled than Gary Howitt. But, um, you know, Gary Howitt's still a guy. I mean, I say that, and now I just went to his hockey DB Gary Howitt put up seasons of 18 goals, 21 goals, 13 goals, 16 goals with the Islanders, uh, 48 points, 34 points, 28 points. Uh, After he left the Islanders, he put up a 50-point season with the Mighty Whale. So maybe I should take that back. Gary Howitt played in an era where it really was the Wild West. But he also played in an era where these guys played a regular shift. And Gary Howitt played a regular shift. And Gary Howitt, according to the hockey DB, stood five nine and weighed 170 pounds. Now, back in the day when I worked at Bruce Bennett Studios, it was awesome because every now and then we would get players come in and look at look for pictures of themselves. And Gary Howitt was one of those guys. And honestly, like you can talk about him being five nine. I think his legs our five, nine wrapped around the dude had literal tree trunks for legs. I mean, just, you know, really, really put together, even that uh, he had been retired, Jesus, probably 10, 15 years at the time. I don't even remember, uh, still in good shape, but still had these massive, massive legs. Um, and what a cool guy. I mean, he would never remember. Uh, it's the only time I ever met him and and I hate that, but this is a guy that was perfect Perfect for the Islanders. Now, Gary Howitt was an original Islander. He played eight games that first season, 18 penalty minutes. So, yes, he's an original Islander. Of course, his two fights that first year were against Flyers, Don Selesky, and Bob Kelly. But this is a team, the Islanders, they were an expansion team. They were fighting for respect. And they were not going to be pushed around with guys like Gary Howitt and Bob Nystrom there in that first year, Nystrom also a first-year Islander. And that was just not going to happen. And, you know, they're just – I think, you know, like I said, with guys like Nystrom and Gillies and what they've done in the community and how they're revered here, I think it overshadows someone like a Gary Howitt at the time. And and they may – Gary Howitt may be like, no, no, not at all. I don't know. But it did end up – he only – Only could you imagine me saying he only played on two Stanley Cup winners, but compared to um Nystrom and Gillies who played on four, Gary Howitt uh left the island, he was traded after the second cup, so he has two rings, not four. But um, Gary Howitt's an animal, I'm telling you. If you are if you're too young to have seen Gary Howitt play, go on YouTube because. I mean, this guy took shit from absolutely nobody. And when they played the Flyers, who at the time, Flyers, Rangers, two biggest rivals, he was at his absolute vicious best. Like I said, his first season with the Islanders, eight games played, 18 pims, fought Selesky, Bob Kelly. 73-74, jumps right into the deep end. 78 games played, 204 penalty minutes. 29 fights led the team in both categories uh brian watson of pittsburgh brad park of the rangers uh glenn sather pat quinn uh mike murphy keith magnuson twice dave schultz bob daly carol Vadney, larry robinson tough guy everyone thinks he's a killer i mean he was tough but you know but he fought larry robinson uh bill Goldsworthy, hilliard graves bob neely jean hamel gary monaghan ron stackhouse Bob Murdoch, Steve Durbano, twice, Dennis Hextall. You may not know a lot of those names, but again, back in the day, there were not designated hitmen. These are all guys who played and guys that played tough. And you had to, a guy like Bill Goldsworthy, you don't necessarily think of him as a guy who'll drop the gloves, but to me, he's the perfect example of, of naming a guy who is not known for fighting, but everybody had to defend themselves during this era of hockey we move on to gary second well second full season 74 75 77 games 121 penalty minutes nine fights the nine fights led the league uh, carol vadney again bobby clark pierre plant barry wilkins bob stewart terry o'reilly danny Gare underrated scrapper danny Gare, and jerry butler 74 75 playoffs 59 penalty minutes in 17 games, six fights in 17 games, led the team again in both categories. And this was, this will be interesting if you're not familiar. Ted Irvin, Chris Jericho's father, played for the Rangers. He fought him. Ron Harris played with the Rangers and four fights against Dave the Hammer Schultz. So Dave Schultz at the time, this is Broad Street bully heyday. Dave Schultz, the biggest bully of them all. Fought him five times already, and we're only in the 74-75 playoffs. We go next, 75-76, 80 games, 197 pims, 16 fights, led the team again in both categories. Terry O'Reilly, Dave Schultz three times, Gary Monahan again, Bob Gasoff, a guy who there is not enough footage on. Barkley Plager, Jerry Korab, Carol Vadney again, Moose Dupont of the Flyers. Dennis Paulinich of the Red Wings, Phil Russell, Harold Sneps. And then in the playoffs, 75-76, one fight against Paul McIntosh of Buffalo. I don't know much about that guy. Move on to the next season. 182 penalty minutes, 17 fights. Again, led the team in both categories. Fighting guys like Mel Bridgman, Steve Vickers, Bob Gasoff again. Mike Marson of Washington. We talked about Mike Marson, Mike Marson in my interview with Graham Townsend. Uh, Neil Komodosky, Carol Vadney three times that year. Willie Plett, Brian Watson, Steve Coates. I think that's the Steve Coates that does the Flyer games. Uh, yeah, Tim Young and, Tom Youngins, I'm sorry. And in the playoffs, two more fights against Danny Gare and uh, Rene Robert. It just goes on and on. 61 games, 146 penalty minutes, 18 fights. Again, led the team in both categories. Pat Ribble, Brad Maxwell, Keith Magnuson, Tiger Williams, Harold Sneps again, Paul Holmgren twice, Eddie Johnstone, Bill Riley, another guy that we talked about with Graham Townsend. I don't know why I said we, I talked about it with Graham Townsend. Mel Bridgman again, Jerry Butler again, Rick Sealing, Lanny McDonald, Didn't just fight Billy Smith, also fought Gary Howitt. And in the playoffs, a lot of fights here against Toronto. Um, Jerry Butler, not very popular with the Islander players. Um, Sort of uh, almost killed Mike Bossy, so he always had a target on his back. Uh, In that series, seven games, 62 pims, six fights. Jimmy Jones, Mike Palmatier, Tiger Williams, Jerry Butler, Pat Boutet, and Trevor Johansson all with the Leafs, all fought Gary Howitt in those playoffs. 78-79, 205 penalty minutes, 17 fights. Again, led the team in both categories. Ken Houston, Randy Holt, Ben Wilson, Tiger Williams, Dennis Polinich again twice, Mario Marois, Dave Hoida, Dave Logan, Larry Giroux, John Wensink, Oris Kindrachuk, Dave Schultz, now with Buffalo, Mel Bridgman again in the playoffs. Two fights against the Rangers, Mario Marowat again, Dave Maloney. 79-80, the Islanders' first cup team, 77 games, 219 penalty minutes, 25 fights. And guess what? Led the team in both categories again. Guys he fought, you may have heard of them. Dave Sementko, Colin Campbell. Moose DuPont, Brian Sutter, Stan Jonathan's Jonathan's, Stan Jonathan, Tiger Williams, Dave Maloney, Reg Kerr, Jim Korn, Kim Claxon, John Hughes, John Paul Kelly, Renee Robert again, one than seconds, I guess. Wolf Paymont, Brian Maxwell, Carol Vadney again, Barry Beck, Ron DeLorme, Terry Riskowski, all these guys you've heard of. And in the playoffs that year, 21 games. 84 Pims, tied for the team lead in fights with seven. Jay Wells, Steve Carlson of LA, Wayne Cashman twice. You know him from the Bruins. You're familiar with this playoff series. Terry O'Reilly with Boston, and then later Mel Bridgman of the Flyers. And in Gary's final season with the Islanders, 70 games, 100, 174 penalty minutes, 17 fights. Yes, led the team again. In both categories, Paul Holmgren, Danny Gare, Dale Hunter, Kim Claxon three times, Barry Melrose, Jim McTaggart, Eddie Johnstone again, Randy Carlisle, Terry Ruskowski again, Mike Matier again. And his final fights as an Islander were in the 80 81 playoffs two fights, one versus Barry Melrose, and the rematch against Dave Simenko. Gary Howitt is an absolute Beast. Okay. 596 games played with the Islanders. 1,466 penalty minutes, which places him third. He was first for a long time, and then he was passed by a guy we're going to get to in a few minutes. And 146 regular season fights, which places him second. Gary Howitt led this team at penalty minutes seven times, led this team in fighting majors. Eight times in the playoffs remember he played a lot of playoff games with this team 87 playoff games 289 penalty minutes 30 playoff fights he led the team in playoff penalty minutes three times led the team in playoff fighting majors four times and tied for the team lead in playoff fighting majors once gary howitt which i should maybe i should have led with this i was just so excited to talk about him 10th round pick in 1972 by the Islanders, 144th overall. And as I mentioned, he did play with Hartford, uh, traded from the Islanders to Hartford for future considerations. As I said, two-time Stanley Cup champion, 1979-80, 1980-81, and... Later on with the Devils, he played for the Maine Mariners in 1983 84, where he secured a Calder Cup ring with those Maine Mariners. Maybe the most interesting thing about Gary Howitt, you may or may not know, on January 15th, 1983, as a member of the Devils, he and Mickey Vulcan, who was a member of the Whalers, became the only active players to officiate an NHL game. A snowstorm prevented a referee, Ron Fournier, and a linesman, Ron Asselstein, from reaching the Harvick, Harvick, Hartford Civic Center, easy for me to say, for a game between the Devils and the Whalers. So the other linesman who was slated to work the game became the referee, and they picked a guy from each team, the Devils and the Whalers. Howitt for the Devils, Vulcan for the Whalers, and they served as the linesman that night. I actually want to see if I can find that game on video because I didn't watch it. Uh I don't I might have watched it if it was on uh sports channel at the time or channel 9. I don't even remember. May have watched it, definitely don't remember it though. And uh I think it would be interesting to see how that game went. So again, I gave you a lot of names, I gave you a lot of numbers and like I said, I started with this Gary Howitt I mean, he can definitely be number one on this team. I mean, the names speak for themselves. The numbers speak for themselves. And part of the reason why I want to get guys like Bob Nystrom and Clark Gillies on this show, obviously I want to talk about their careers, but I want to really talk to guys about Gary Howitt because I feel like he a lot of times is the forgotten guy here. And he's definitely not forgotten by people my age or older. Because we all saw this guy. And even though I was I was 10 at the time when he got traded, I'd been watching hockey for a few years. And honestly, at that time in my life, I was so young, all I saw was this little guy running around like a Tasmanian devil, fighting everybody. So he did make an impression on me. And uh, I just feel like a guy like Gary Howitt, for younger fans, gets lost in the cracks. So if you are a younger fan and you never watched Gary Howitt play, please do yourself a favor. Go on YouTube and watch some of this guy's fights because he is, I I mean, just, I I just want to say fun. Gary Howard equals fun. Go watch Gary Howard fights. Tell me the dude is not a legitimate savage. Now, let's move on to number four. Now it's Cairns and Corson. Cairns got a couple of likes in. Corson trying to answer. The referees are watching Cairns
0: puddle. Corson... Cairns Carson. Carson. can't get out from his own sweater. TKO Eric Cairns.
1: Eric Cairns. I don't think Cairnsy has a real nickname uh besides Cairnsy. Uh I've called him the E-Train before, but uh I don't think he has an official nickname. And to be honest with you, he probably likes it that way. So uh, if I call him the E train to him, he'd probably laugh at me and uh, say, uh, just call me Cairnsy," or just call me Eric, you know, but uh, Eric Cairns is my number four and Cairns is one of my favorite people in the world. And before we get into it, um, I am Eric and I have discussed him appearing on the show. And it is something that we both hope to happen at some point when it is uh, a good time. And uh, I will just say that uh, if there is anyone whose word I will take, it is Eric Cairn. So it might not be anytime soon, but uh, I believe he will be on the show. So I know many of you have asked me about it, and um, all I will say is uh, if it's if it's a possibility, it will get done. I just cannot tell you when. But uh, trust me, if we get him on here, why do I keep saying we? Why do I want to share credit? If I get him on here, it's going to be insane because, we're not, well, we're going to talk about some of the guys he's fought here. But he's got just a great story, too. So, um, But let's start out with uh, Karensey being a third-round pick in 1992 by the Rangers, 72nd overall. And thankfully, I mean, listen, I I like Carensey so much that I wish he would have been a regular with the Rangers uh, because, I mean, it worked out great for me as a fan, and I think it worked out great for him career-wise that he wasn't. But at the time, I'm sure it was, uh, it was probably kind of stressful. But because he was never a regular with the Rangers, they tried to uh, send him to the minors, and he had to clear waivers. And uh, he didn't because on December 22nd, 1998, Eric Cairns was claimed off waivers by our beloved New York Islanders. And, of course, after the lockout in uh, 05-06, he signed as a free agent with Florida. Um, I'm still bitter about that. Not at him, but at uh, Coach Sterling because I think – Karen Z was made the scapegoat for the uh, playoff loss to Tampa, which I will go to my grave saying that he was made the scapegoat, but, uh, you win as a team and you lose as a team. And this is not about that, but, uh, I will say that Karen Z is currently the Islanders director of player development, a position he has earned. He has been with the organization for many years scouting. And, uh, this is a position that he's, uh, he's made for. And I I always want to ask him, like, what's the next step? Is this, uh, like, uh, a position where the next step would be an assistant GM or a GM role? I'm, I'm curious. I've never actually asked him that. But, uh, he, I mean, he's he's very, very smart, very good hockey mind. So uh, I think it would be interesting to see where, where his road goes at some point. But let's get back to the on-ice Islanders career of the e-train oh also maybe some people called him big daddy i think at some point but uh i'm sure that he probably would just shake his head at. which he, if he's listening he's probably doing right now but he becomes an islander plays nine games in 1998-99 23 penalty minutes one fight against paul cruz and after this we go to 1999-2000 and it's like a monster is born the the knock against Kierenzi when he was with the Rangers was that um, if you hit him on the chin, he would go down, and there are fights out there to suggest that he did take some knocks with the Rangers. Uh, and I think it, what I tell people is the same thing with Ross Johnston. Now, when you're that big, you can be that big, but if you're if you're a monster size, but you're 21, 22 years old. You're you're not grown into your size yet. You don't know how to use your size at that point. And that's the one thing I was talking about with Ross Johnston, where every year this kid, he's a big kid. He gets better, and he gets better, and he gets better. And that's the thing with Karens, where every year he got better and better and better. And by the time he became an Islander, I I don't care what anyone says, this is a guy that was top five in the league and, and probably a guy other players look to avoid. But let's talk about specifics here. 1999-2000. Played 67 games. 196 penalty minutes, which was his career high with the Islanders. 14 fights. Uh, Peter Worrell. Stefan Quintal twice. Paul Cruz again. Bob Probert. Cal Hulse. George Larocque. Ty Domi. Dennis Bonvi twice. Reed Simpson. Chris Gratton. Craig Baruby, Matt Johnson. Now the Matt Johnson fight is interesting because they had a fight in junior and Matt Johnson was way ahead of his way ahead of everybody in, uh, in his time in the OHL. And uh, that fight did not go well for Cairnsy, And a lot of fighting is mental. And um, I think for Cairnsy to fight Matt Johnson do very well in the fight. It just goes to show what kind of character he has that, uh, you know, he didn't shy away from it, did very well. I uh, can really was, a destroyer with the Islanders it really it has to be said you know unfortunately he didn't play here for what he play one two, like 4 years but it it should have been longer and i really would have loved to seen what what else he could have done in the blue and orange but in the 2000 2001 preseason uh tied for the team lead in preseason fights with two uh Francis lassard and Steve McLaren both with Philadelphia at the time in uh, that regular season, 46 games, 106 penalty minutes, two fights. Andre Nazarov, Billy Tibbetts. Following preseason, one preseason fight. I don't have the num- I don't have the stats for the games and the penalty minutes, but fought Turner Stevenson that year. And actually, in the uh, Jim McKenzie interview, Jim McKenzie talks about uh, I think it was a Giants game where he went to with Turner Stevenson and a few other Devils and. Happened to be Cairnsy and some Islanders went to that game, and uh, everyone was kind of friendly, but it seems like Cairns didn't really care for Turner Stevenson too much. So that could be something that I discuss with him, uh, hopefully, when he comes on the show. 2001 uh, 02, 74 games, 176 penalty minutes, 13 fights, led the team in both categories. Todd Fedoric, Matt Barnaby, Steve McKenna twice. Peter Worrell, Joey Tetarenko, Sandy McCarthy, Stefan Kintal again, Ty Domi again, Dennis Bonvi again, Jeff Rodgers, Jody Shelley, and Rob Ray. Now this was the year that a lot of shit happened with the Rangers. And if you go back and listen to my seasons in review episode, this was the season that I did with Eric Cairns. I went into great detail. Uh, about the nonsense with the Rangers with Theo Fleury with Sandy McCarthy Uh, Steve McKenna gets involved here a few times so um, I'm not going to go into it too much but needless to say every challenge that the Rangers threw at Eric Cairns he handled with flying colors came out on top and um, you know really I would encourage you if you're an Eric Cairns fan go back and listen to that seasons episode because uh, I kind of break it down I'm not going to say I break it down pretty well. I mean, I, I I break down the information that is available to me and uh, because I also live through it. So go back and listen to that. It'll give you a lot of details about this season and um, what the shit that he went through with the Rangers and their stupid fans and the media even too. The The Ranger media was uh, kind of critical, but uh, Karensey always took the high road and let his actions on the ice do the talking. And uh that was a fun year watching him dismantle the Rangers piece by piece and Of course that year the the icing on the cake was the playoffs where they played Toronto. Unfortunately, that series did not go the Islanders' way, but he had the one playoff fight against Shane Corson. You've all seen it. you've all got goosebumps, it's an iconic fight. Karensey's skating off the ice, given the number one sign iconic picture, so um and to this day, Jimmy Cummins tells me that's the loudest rink he's ever been in, the Coliseum for that game between Cairns' fight and Sean Bates' penalty shot. What a great moment for Islander fans. What, what great memories. And uh, that Cairns' fight against Shane Corson, it actually, well, not actually, it absolutely goes down as an iconic moment in team history. Uh, following preseason, one fight, Sean Brown, uh, Boston, 2002-03, 60 games, 124 PIMS, 12 fights, led the team in both categories again. Uh, fought Eric Bolton, Todd Fedorik, Francis Lassard again, Peter Worrell again, Craig Bruby, George Laroc again, Chris Dingman, Jody Shelley again, Matt Johnson again, Sean Brown again, Steve McKenna again, Donald Brashear. You get the idea. These guys are all fighting each other. Cairns is only fighting the big dogs. They're going at him. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was, it was really great, you know, because I know him a little bit, it was really great to see how well he was doing in these fights and he was playing a regular shift. And that's what I was talking about when I was talking about bomber. Um, you know, Karen's, like I said, he was a third round pick originally. You're not picking guys in the third round to be one dimensional fighters. Karen's from the time he was, and, and Pat Barton and I have talked about this. From the time he was an early teenager, the guy had skill. He just had to grow into his size. And like Baumgartner, and I, and again, I can't say for sure because I don't know if Bomber got a regular shift with L.A., like I said, but Cairns, when he came to the Islanders, he was a top six defenseman, played a regular shift, played solid, solid defense, and I think it was Yarmir Yager that said Eric Cairns was the toughest defenseman he's ever played against. So, I mean, that's pretty high praise coming from someone who knows a hell of a lot more about hockey than I do. So, uh, you know, that's something for Carensey to hang his hat on. But as much as I talk about how tough he is, I I really wanted to go to to be said that he really, really came into his own as a player with the Islanders, and that cannot be understated. Uh, He had one playoff fight that year against Chris Neal of Ottawa. Uh, Following preseason, fought Dougie Dowell of Boston, Regular season, his second highest penalty minute total, oh three, oh four, seventy-two games, one hundred and eighty-nine penalty minutes, seventeen fights. Uh Andrew Peters of Buffalo, Kelly Buckberger of Pittsburgh, Steve McKenna again, Todd Fedoric again, Jim McKenzie, Stephen Pete, Richard Scott, unfortunately ended Richard Scott's career. Uh, Jeff Cowan, Dougie Dowell again, Steve Ott, Aaron Downey, Andre Nazarov. When we get to the Dale Purinton stuff. Uh, <laughs> I I I gotta get Cairns on the show because uh, Purinton. You know, I lost a lot of respect. Not that Dale Purinton gives a fuck if I respect him, but uh, I I always liked Purinton, and, and and you know I probably still do. But I don't know. That was some some fucking Bush League shit that he pulled with Cairns suckering him and then not wanting to uh, not wanting to fight him, hiding behind Mark Messier, but. That's again, that's for the, uh, for the interview that I will eventually hopefully do with Eric Cairns down the road, uh, finish up the year fighting Owen Nolan, Jared Burnett and Grant Marshall with New Jersey. So one thing I didn't mention was, uh, another memorable Cairns moment was, uh, fighting and it wasn't much of a fight. It was a uh, one punch in the hallway between the locker rooms at the Coliseum when, uh, Matt Barnaby, and uh, and Eric Cairns came together, and luckily the camera was down there following Matt Barnaby from behind, and all of a sudden you just see this fucking tree trunk come out from the curtain and smack Barnaby right in the face. Uh, Barnaby doesn't go down, though. as much, Whether you like him or not, you got to give him his due, um, but that was uh, another interesting thing, and I think that was the last game they just had the curtain between the uh, locker rooms and the hallway. I think after that, they put the gate up. But uh, another another memorable moment from a really good guy, Eric Cairns. Uh, I don't know if I gave his, uh, gave his career stats here. So uh, if I did, I'm sorry. I'm repeating myself. Uh, but if I didn't, then, of course, you need to know. 327 career games played with the Islanders, 814 penalty minutes, which ranks him eighth all time. And 59 regular season fights, which ranks him 7th all-time in team history. 13 total playoff games, 28 penalty minutes, and 2 fights. Uh, He led the team in penalty minutes 4 times. He led the team in fighting majors 4 times. And he tied for the team lead in preseason fighting majors once. Led the team in playoff fighting majors once. And tied for the team lead in playoff fighting majors once. So... The big man, Eric Cairns, number four here on my all-time top 10 Islander enforcers. He was, of course, my number one defenseman when I did that episode when I ranked the defenseman, but uh, Cairns is in some pretty good company. And again, again, I will repeat it just like I did before I spoke about Gary Howitt and while I was speaking about Gary Howitt, Eric Cairns' run with the Islanders was longer than than Kenny Baumgartner's run. But both of those guys had really destructive runs with this team. And if you go back and you watch Karen's fights with the Islanders, he really had to take a backseat to absolutely nobody during his time with the Islanders. And again, I can make the case for him. You really, I really could make the case for him being the toughest dude that has ever played for this organization, just like Gary Howitt and just like my next guy, at number three.
0: And now Secord and Vakoda square off in the center-right's area. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, my. Did Mick plant one on Secord. Wow. He got a left in. Secord was firing
1: lefts, and he's cut him. Mick the Quick Vakoda, the mixter, number three on my top 10 all-time Islanders enforcers. Now, the cool thing about Mick Well, there's many cool things about Mick, but Mick is a student of the Islanders. So Mick knows that he was not going to be number one or number two, but he could be. He absolutely 100% could be. But Mick is also very humble about his accomplishments. And I know how much respect he has for the two guys ahead of him on this list. So let's get down to the nuts and bolts of the Mixter, Mick Vakoda As you may or may not know Mick Vakoda was My guest for episode Four, it was a three part series Unbelievable guest uh, I mean, we, I, I hope I think we didn't leave any Stone unturned And um, I would highly recommend you Going back to listen to it I don't know how I did as an interviewer But Mick was an awesome guest Three part series, Mick Vakoda Episode four Go back and listen after you're done with this episode. Similar to Eric Goddard, similar to Trevor Gillies, Mixter, never drafted, never drafted at all. Went to camp with Washington, ended up with the Islanders, signed with the Islanders on March 2nd, 1987. And unfortunately, on September 28th, 1997, he was claimed off waivers by Tampa from the Islanders. And, you know, there was a certain person responsible for that who uh, we all know. And um, I mean, really similar to what I said about Trevor Gillies, if you need to know anything about Mick Vakota's career, I mean, I'm going to give you some names here. I'm going to give you some numbers, but you go back and listen to the interview with him because he covers everything, everything he did. And we talk about him getting uh, put on waivers and getting claimed by Tampa. Before he was an Islander, he led the Western Hockey League in penalty minutes in 1986-87, 337 penalty minutes with the Spokane Chiefs. And like I said when I talked about Eric Goddard, remember the Western League does not count tens in their penalty minute totals. So let's talk about Mick. Let's talk about his career totals with the Islanders. 509 career regular season games for Mick, the same number as Richie Pilon. 1,879 penalty minutes, first in team history, 160 regular season fighting majors, first in team history. So let's go back to 1987-88. Mick makes his debut with the Islanders, plays 17 games, 82 penalty minutes, eight fights. Tim Hunter, Craig Berube, Torrey Robertson, Dave Richter, Garth Butcher, Randy Moeller, Lee Norwood, Dean Kennedy. But what you don't know, or what you may not know, is who his first fight was almost against. And I'm gonna send you back to episode four so you can hear Mick tell the story himself. He almost fought a legendary enforcer, legendary character of the game, as his first NHL fight, but it didn't happen, and Mick will tell you what happened. Hear the story straight from the horse's mouth 1988-89 48 games played 237 penalty minutes 23 fights led the team in fights that year fought such guys as Larry Melnick, Gord Donnelly, Jeff Chikrin, Peter Taglianetti, David Maley, Mike Hartman twice, Neil Sheehy, Jim Pavis twice, Marty McSorley, Jay Caulfield three times, Brendan Shanahan, Perry Anderson, Steve Dykstra, Bruce Shoebottom, Basil McRae, Bob Rouse, Jim Korn, Kevin McGuire. Moving forward to the following season, 76 games played, 290 penalty minutes, the second highest total of his Islander career, 21 fights, led the team in both categories, started the year against Marty McSorley, fought his buddy Tony Horachek. Alan May, Chris King, Kevin McClelland, Rob Murray, David Maley again, Al Secord, Ed Kastelik, Jamie Huscroft three times, Ken Danico, Neil Brady, always, always loved playing the Devils, Rudy Poshek, Dave Mackey, Glenn Featherstone, Basil McRae's brother Chris, Dave Brown, Jim Korn, Rob Ramage. And, of course, that year in the playoffs, played one game, 17 penalty minutes, Fought a guy named Jeff Blumberg. We're going to talk about that in a little more detail in a minute. Following season, 60 games, 238 penalty minutes, 15 fights. Alan Stewart, I, I, you know, I should do a total. I, he may have fought more Devils than anyone else. Um, Alan Stewart, Dennis Vial, Dale Kushner, Gino Ojic, Ed Castlick again, Mike Peluso, Rob Ray, the first of the real... Maybe greatest rivalry between two players. You could keep your Rob Ray and Ty Domi. That, they're buddies. Talk about Rob Ray and Mick Vakoda. That is a rivalry based on hate. That is my number one rivalry. And this was the first season where they scrapped each other. Bob Halkitis, Jim McKenzie, John Cordick, Randy McKay, Troy Millette, Robert Dirk. 91-92, 74 games played. 293 penalty minutes, career high for Mick as an Islander and 31 fights. Another career high 31 fights. I mean, that is probably more than I were there 31 fights in the NHL this year. I don't even know 31 fights. Glenn Featherstone, Stefan Kintal, Dave Brown, Tony twist twice, Louis DeBrusque twice, Sean Cronin, Jeff Odgers, Stu Grimson twice, Nick Kiprios twice, Kelly Buckberger, Gino Ojic, Jeff Bukaboom, Rod Buskis, Todd Gill, Dan Kordick, Randy McKay twice, Jim McKenzie twice, Terry Karkner, Craig Baruby, Luke Richardson, Ty Domi, Gord Donnelly, Paul McDermott. 31 fights in 74 games. 91 92, 74 games, 216 penalty minutes, 14 fights. Again, led the team in both categories. Jay Wells, Warren Reichel, Terry Karkner again, Cam Russell, Mike Peluso twice, Kelly Chase and Garth Butcher both with the Blues, Rob Ray again, Darren Kimball with the Bruins, Dave Brown again, Dodie Wood, Darcy Lowe and Randy McKay again. 93 94, 72 games played, 237 penalty minutes, 21 fights again led the team in both categories. Luke Richardson, Mike Peluso, Danny Vial twice, Warren Reichel again, Darren Kimball again, Ken Danico, Bill Heward, Mark Tenorti, Craig Baruby two more times, Claude Boyvan, and the Claude Boyvan fight was the fight where he passed Gary Howitt for the all-time Islander lead. He became the all-time penalty minute king with that fight against Claude Boyvan. Mark Potvin, Hartford, Rob Ray three times, Dan Kordick, Dave Mackey, Lyle Odeline, Mark Jansen's, and future teammate Brent Severin. And, of course, in the playoffs against the Rangers, had one fight, four games, 17 minutes, and he fought Jay Wells. You've all seen that that highlight. 94-95, 39 games, 109 penalty minutes, 13 fights. Led the team in both categories again. Mike Peluso twice. Chris Tamer three times. Donald Brashear once. Frankie LaRue once. Rob Ray two more times. Glenn Featherstone again, Enrico Ciccone again, Sean Antoski. 95 96, 32 games, 106 penalty minutes, 10 fights, tied for the team lead. Ty Domi again, Donald Brashear again, Phil Crow, Chris Tamer again, Craig Barubi again, Jay Wells again, Murray Barron, Rick Tockett, Dave Roche, Mark Janssens again. And what unfortunately was his final Islander season, 96-97, 17 games, 71 penalty minutes, five fights, again, names you'd expect, Dan Kordick, again, Scott Daniels, Stu Grimson twice, and Mike Peluso. Tell me again how you cannot love Mick Vakota. And there are people out there that I don't think give him the respect he deserves. I know he doesn't care. I don't care either. It just gets tiring after a while. Give this man the respect he deserves. Listen to those names I read off. Who's not on that list? Who is not on that list? Exactly. Exactly. That is who is not on that list. Nobody. Okay? Um, so we talked about the uh, playoff fight with Jeff Bloomberg. I got into it a little bit. When uh, we were talking about the bomber and uh, that playoff game against the Rangers again, where James Patrick hit Patty LaFontaine high, and that's just not going to go over well. And like I had said again with in bomber's thing, the one thing I always say about Mick Fakoda is Mick Fakoda played the same way in the NHL that he played in the American League, that he played in the Western League. And I think a lot of guys, and especially today, once they make the NHL, they change. And Mick never changed. Mick was always the same guy that played for Spokane, that played for Kelowna. He brought that same attitude there. And and Mick hated the other teams like we hated the other teams. Mick hated the Rangers, and we hated the Rangers. I, I, I mean, it was just, to me, he was the perfect guy for the Islanders. Mick Vakota bleeds Islander blue and orange. He takes pride in the fact that he was able to play all those games as an Islander. And Mick hated Rob Ray, just like we hated Rob Ray. He hated the Rangers. It's like I I just said it. I'm repeating myself he hated them so much. But it's a guy he's underrated, in my opinion, for the time period that he played in. I think there are a lot of guys on his fight card that get way more credit than him that, honestly, I don't think deserve it. And uh, you know, I gave his totals one thing. Let's talk about this: Mick Vakoda owns five of the top ten highest single season penalty minute totals in the history of the organization, like i said i'll I'll rattle them all for you two hundred ninety three and ninety one ninety two which is the third highest total, two hundred ninety and eighty nine ninety which is the fifth highest total two hundred and thirty eight in ninety ninety one, which is the eighth highest total, and two hundred and thirty seven, which he recorded twice in eighty eight, eighty nine, and ninety three, ninety four, which is tied for the ninth highest total. Mick Fakota, number three on my list behind two legends. And by the way, I wonder if you thought I was going to forget about this. On october twentieth, nineteen eighty nine, Mick Fakota scores the natural hat trick in the first period against Don Bro Don Beaupre of Washington. So, the dude can do it all. How many other players in the league have 1800 penalty minutes and a natural hat trick? Not many. I wonder if he's the only one. That would be interesting. But like I said, mixer number 3 behind two legends now here is the problem with the following two guys. It's really your preference because as legendary as both of these guys are, they're very different in terms of how in terms of their numbers, let's say. One guy fought way more than the other guy. One guy put up, let me see, a lot more penalty minutes than the other guy. But the other guy has what people like or don't like. They call it the fear factor. One guy was a guy you didn't want to make mad. So for you, the listener, you have to decide what works better for you. What do you value more? The guy who fought more? The guy who was, say, a bigger presence? The thing is, no matter who you pick for number one, you're not wrong. You're not wrong because, hey, hey, let me say it again. I could make a case for both of these guys to be number one. But only one can be the man. So I give you now my number two all-time Islander enforcer, the runner-up for the crown.
0: Naysom's got to watch his hand in that helmet because you can break your hand awful easy. You're not quitting, though. Going to let these guys tire themselves out. They don't want to go into between two heavyweights like Corn and Nystrom. Whoa! He's, he's, holy better break it up. Bird's gonna get a broken nose. I think they should be in and have this thing broken up. You better get him right with taking an awful of beating. He's almost out in his seat. The rule is not bad. It's there for a purpose, but when two big men go at it like this, uh-oh, that's enough. That's got to be the one of the most one-sided fights I've seen in a long
1: time, Mick. Although the Islander organization wasn't born until 1972, and it's still a relatively young team when you compare it to uh, the original six and some of the other uh, clubs that came before them, they have a very rich history. When you take a look at the four Stanley Cubs and the Hall of Famers and you just start to look at names like Brian Trottier, Mike Bossy, Dennis Potvin, Clark Gillies, um John Tanelli, Bob Bourne, just trying to think, you know, Billy Smith, and even later on, guys like Patty Lafontaine, even a guy like John Tavares, whether you like him or not, let's let's establish the fact that he was he is an all time great islander uh for the numbers that he put up. All the names when you go down the list, you know, Butch Goring, um, <clears throat> Patrick Flatley, Patty LaFontaine, Pierre Turgeon, you go up and down that list of great names, and yet only one person can be Mr. Islander, and that is Bob Nystrom. Now, this was a difficult one for me to uh, determine who's going to be number one, who's going to be number two, and um, I kind of just went with my gut here uh, as far as, you know, who do I put number one? Who do I put number two? And um, I had to put Bob number two, but the reality is, again, I could make a case for him being number one and uh, and Bob is an all-timer. So just because he, if you're number two, if you're the runner up to an all-timer and you're an all-timer, you're still doing okay. And I think that uh I think Bob would accept being uh being number two on the list and not that again, like I always say, not that Bob Nystrom gives a single fuck where I put him on my list, but I'd say number two on a list behind the number one who I'm sure you've guessed by now, uh, is not a bad place to be. But like I said, on a team with the tradition that this team has and all the banners that are hanging in the rafters. And yet, only one person is Mr. Islander, and that is Thor, Bob Nystrom. Bob Nystrom played 900 career games in an Islander uniform, the only NHL team he ever played for. 900 games, 1,248 career penalty minutes, which puts him fifth all time in team history, and 99 fighting majors, which ranks him third. In team history, Bob Nystrom tied for the team lead in fighting majors one time in the playoffs. Bob Nystrom played 157 playoff games, 236 penalty minutes and 14 playoff fighting majors. He led the team in playoff fights one time and he tied for the team lead in playoff fights one time. As I said before, Bob Nystrom is an original Islander, played with the team in the 72-73 season. He was originally a third-round pick by the Islanders in 1972, 33rd overall, and he made his debut in that 72-73 season, 11 games, 10 penalty minutes, one fight, which is, I don't know how, you know, how do you have one fight but 10 penalty minutes? This is something I probably should have researched a little bit better when I was writing this down, but uh, I don't know. I guess I'll have to look into that after I'm done recording because I am not holding up the recording for something like this. But one fight that year. Where am I? All right, here we go. Hold on. This is what happens when you have 8,000 windows open on your computer. Don Seleski of the Flyers. We move on to the next season, 73-74, full season, 77 games, 118 penalty minutes, eight fights. Now, keep in mind, the reason why Bob Nystrom really never led the team in penalty minutes and almost never led the team in fights was because the majority of his early career was spent playing with Gary Howitt, who always led the team in fights, uh, always led the team in penalty minutes. So. Nystrom, very rarely, what I did on my little graph here, I highlighted it in yellow, uh, as far as who led the team in fights, who led the team in penalty minutes, and there's not a lot of yellow on Bob Nystrom, because he was with Gary Howitt most of those years. So, that 73-74 season had eight fights, Vic Hadfield, Brent Hughes, Andre Moose-Dupont, Dennis O'Brien, Bob Daly, Kurt Bennett. Mike Pellick, and Daryl Sittler. And again, don't don't just say, well, why is he fighting a guy like Daryl Sittler? This is what I was talking about going back to Bill Goldsworthy. These guys, regardless of your stature in the league, unless you're a Mike Bossy or a Wayne Gretzky, everyone pretty much had to drop the gloves at least once or twice. I mean, Sittler has a famous fight against Gary Howitt, so uh, he's not afraid to drop the gloves, even though he's, I would imagine, a Hall of Famer, I would think. Right, Daryl Sittler? 1974-75, Bob Nystrom played 76 games, 122 penalty minutes, eight fights. Butch Deadmarsh, Jerry Byers, Jean Hamel, Dave Hutchison, future teammate Wayne Merrick, Brian Glenny, Doug Risebrow, the big Irishman, Pat Quinn. And in the playoffs that year, he had one fight, 27 penalty minutes. The fight was against Ed Van Imp, of course, of the Flyers. 75-76, 80 games, 106 penalty minutes, seven fights. Dennis Hextall, Ed Key, Daryl Sittler again, Dunk Wilson, Ross Lonsbury, Daryl Edestrand, and Ron Settlebauer of the Canucks added two fights in the playoffs that year, one against Jim Schoenfeld of Buffalo and one against Frank Mahovlich of Montreal. And keep in mind with some of these bigger names, Bob Nystrom again took a regular shift. He, so it's not like Bob Nystrom was sent out and he's going out to take these guys off the ice. Guys wanted to take Bob Nystrom off the ice too. So that's why you see some of these other, some of these uh, bigger names that maybe you don't expect, especially if you were not alive during this time and you're used to, you know, say the the 80s or the 90s style where it was uncommon for a star player to fight a guy who fought regularly. Uh, in 76-77, he played in 80 games again, 91 penalty minutes, 9 fights. Mike Milbury, oh, what could have been, what could have been in this fight, could have, oh, man, oh, man. But anyway, Mike Milbury, Steve Jensen, Don Selesky, Pat Boutet, Ron Greshner, a young Ron Greshner with the Rangers, Richard Mulhern, Jim Harrison, Russ Anderson, and Yvonne LeBray, who was the muscle for Washington for a lot of those early years. And he added one playoff fight in 76-77 against renowned pugilist Randy Holt. 77-78, again, played 80 games. This cannot be underscored here. A guy that played as physical as Bob Nystrom is playing back-to-back-to-back 80-game seasons, sandwiched with a 77-game season and a 76-game season and a 78-game season. This is a guy that never missed games. And if he missed a game, it had to be because his leg was falling off or something. He did not miss games. In 77-78, 80 games again, 94 pims, 10 fights. Fred Barrett of the North Stars twice, Reed Larson, uh, Dave Logan of Chicago, Doug Risebrow Minnesota, Ron Settlebauer of Vancouver, Mel Bridgman twice, Carol Vadney, and Errol Thompson of Detroit. And, of course, let's add the playoff fights, two fights in seven games, Mike Pellick of Toronto and Tiger Williams. 78 79, only played 78 games that year, not the standard 80. Uh, 113 penalty minutes, 10 fighting majors. Pat Ribble, Randy Holt, Dennis O'Brien, names you've heard me rattle off already, Rick Green, Dave Hoyda, Tiger Williams, Neil Komadoski, Pierre Plant, Don Maloney, and Steve Payne of Minnesota. Now we get to the first cup year. 79, 80, 67 games, 94 PIMS, 8 fights, Frank Baith, Reed Larson again, Jim Korn, Jay Wells twice, Richard Mulhern again, Paul Baxter, and Ryan Walter. And in the playoffs, nine games, four fights. John Wensink, Brad McCrimmon, Mike Busniuk and Bob Kelly of the Flyers, the Hound. 80 81, 79 games, 145 Pims, 14 fights. Al Secord, Battleship Kelly, Jim Schoenfeld again, Nick Fatihu. John Barrett, Phil Russell, Terry Johnson, Dale Hunter, Brad Marsh, Harold Sneps, Bob Daly, Rod Langway, Ryan Walter, and Jim McTaggart. 81-82, 74 games, 103 pims, 9 fights, Danny Gare, Barry Melrose, Paul McLean, Danny Gare again, Glenn Cochran, Randy Holt again, Pat Boutet, Graham Nicholson, and Bob McGill, future Islander Bob McGill. And in the playoffs, 81-82, two fights, Wolf Paymont of Quebec and Stance Meal of Vancouver. 82-83, tied for the team lead in fights this year with eight in 74 games, had 98 penalty minutes. Pierre Giroux of LA, Brent Ashton of the Devils, Donnie Jackson of Edmonton twice, Bruce Crowder, Scott Stevens, I thought Scott Stevens was a, a spot picker, according to a lot of people on social media. Uh, Chris Contos and the Riz, Gary Risling. And in the playoffs, added one fight against Larry Melnick of the Bruins. 83-84, 74 games, 80 penalty minutes, five fights. Willie Huber, I have no idea what Willie Huber was doing. Scott Stevens again, Wolf Paymont again, Glenn Cochran, and Jim Corn. 84-85, uh, 36 games, 58 penalty minutes, four fights. Lindsey Carson, George McPhee, Neil Sheehy, Dave Hunter, 84-85 playoffs, one fight against Eddie Hospedar, And in his final season, 14 games, 16 penalty minutes, two fights, Steve Dykstra and Sean McKenna, both with Buffalo. So, let's talk a little bit more about Bobby Nystrom. Aside from his uh, play without the gloves on, with the gloves on. Bob Nystrom played in the 1977 All-Star game and had an assist. As we've already talked about, Bob Nystrom is a four-time Stanley Cup champion. And, of course, 7-Eleven will always be more than a convenience store to people here on Long Island. That is the time of the overtime goal from, of course, Lauren Henning and John Tonelli. Everybody is listening to it in their head right now. Tonelli, Nystrom Everybody knows what that means. You could say that to anybody on Long Island. Everybody knows what that means. In 1991, the Islanders began presenting the Bob Nystrom Award to the player on the team who best exemplifies leadership, hustle, and dedication. We've talked about that with Matt Martin, multiple-time winner of the Bob Nystrom Award. Bob Nystrom's number 23 was raised to the rafters on April 1st, 1995. Bob Nystrom was inducted into the Nassau County Sports Hall of Fame in two thousand and three. He's also a member of the national jewish sports 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 Hall of Fame, and he's entered he, he's not Jewish, but he won the the um George Young award, so he won that award, so by virtue of that, he's a member of the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. so this is a guy. A legend. I mean, a legend. I mean, a legend. A legend, a legend, a legend. Bob Nystrom is a goddamn legend here on Long Island and in hockey history. Um, What what can I say about the guy? Uh, He was an assistant coach for one year with the Islanders, too. He used to do color commentary on the radio for the Islanders. He is Mr. Islander. He could be number one, and on most teams, he would be number one. But on this team, he isn't. And that is because the guy who is number one, the guy who wears the crown for the Islanders, the all-time number one enforcer in my mind for the Islanders was Bob Nystrom's partner in crime for many years of their Islander career. And here he is, number one.
0: Well, this will ice the cake for the Islanders if Gillies could record a victory here. But they're so tied up. Gillies with the rights. Gillies again. Well, forget about third man in with 22 seconds, and this game decided. Gillies destroying Dave Schultz.
1: So yes, here's number one. A few people had alluded to it on social media. Um I'd like to say it wasn't obvious because, again, I'd like to give credit to my numbers five through two, who uh, who I think deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as far as enforcing goes with my number one, and that is Jethro Clark Gillies, my number one all-time Islanders enforcer. I always say that uh, as a kid growing up in Queens at the time, actually, before I moved to Long Island, we had uh, my sister and I in our separate rooms had uh, each a 12-inch black-and-white television. And because we didn't have cable, the only Islander games that I could see at the time were the road games and seeing Clark Gillies on my little black and white television. He looked larger than life and he is uh, a main reason why I became an Islanders fan along with Bob Nystrom and Gary Howitt and Brian Trottier and Dennis Potvin and Billy Smith. All those guys uh, really contributed to me becoming an Islander fan, but I will never, ever forget watching Clark Gillies, on my little 12-inch black-and-white TV in Queens, where I lived right in the heart of Rangers country. But Clark Gillies is my number one. Now, here's the dilemma for some people. Some people refuse to put Clark Gillies number one because of his lack of fights. And that's where the fear factor comes in. That's where, if you weren't around back then, that's where... You know, when you just look at numbers or you just look at penalty minute numbers or fight numbers, you say, well, you didn't fight that much. And I think the same thing happens when you talk about Nick Fatiu. If someone was um, going to do a Rangers list, I think you'd run into the same thing where he doesn't have the fight card of other guys. And uh, sometimes people have a problem with that. Now, Clark Gilly's first season with the Islanders was 74-75. I was four. So I really didn't start I guess being cognizant of hockey till I was probably seven or eight years old. So by then he had already established himself a little bit. And for myself as a kid, everything is always larger than life when you're a kid. And I always remember Clark Gillies being larger than life. But what I also remember is um and for those of you who live in Queens, uh, you might know this. So uh I went to uh junior high school at I believe it's is 119 and i would take the bus there It wasn't a regular school bus it was a regular bus and every month i would get off the bus early go to a candy store and get the latest issue of hockey illustrated and goal magazine i was a voracious when it came to, to hockey back then i wanted to read as much as i could and i wanted to know as much as i could and there was no internet back then and I read and read every magazine from cover to cover, even if it was a, an article about the Rangers, I would read it cover to cover. And if there was an article in there about Clark Gillies, or if there was an article in there about fighting and and all this other stuff, Clark Gillies was always near the top, and it was always mentioned about Clark Gillies' long fuse. But there's not exactly a line of guys looking to fight Clark Gillies because it could end your night in a hurry. So because I was alive to watch Clark Gillies play, I saw it firsthand, the, the fear factor. And again, you know, take it for what it is. These are grown men playing against other grown men. And you you would like to think that nobody is necessarily afraid of anybody. And maybe fear is the wrong word. But I think back then, if you knew you were going, coming to Long Island and you knew that you might fight Clark Gillies, if you're going into Philadelphia and you're going to fight Ben Wilson or even the garden with Fatiu, uh, Dan Maloney out in LA. Uh, no, You know, there were guys that you knew that they could put a hurt on you real quick. And not that the alternative with the Islanders was a good option, because if you're not going to go near Clark Gillies, where well, you're probably going to end up tangling with Bob Nystrom, or if it was before, Uh, If it was 1981 or earlier, you might end up tangling with Gary Howitt. So it was really pick your poison. But I think the difference between the three guys is that if Gillies hit you, just like Ed Hospodar will tell you, he'll shatter your face, and he could really hurt you. So I think the the knock on him with the long fuse, say what you want about it, but it's also the other teams also seems like they took the tack of Let's leave the big guy alone. So when you, you combine the two, that's where you don't get the volume of fights with Gillies as you do with Nystrom or Gary Howitt, or even if you extend it further, Mick Vacoda, or even Eric Cairns as a defenseman, you don't have that volume of fights. But what you do have is fights where he put he hurt guys. And guys didn't necessarily want to fight him. It got to the point where it would be younger guys trying to fight him, like Marty McSorley with Pittsburgh coming up, where you want to make a name for yourself. So maybe a veteran on Pittsburgh isn't necessarily looking to tangle with Clark Gillies, but this kid, Marty McSorley, now he wants to make a name for himself. And what better guy to go up against than Clark Gillies? So – Like I said, because I lived through it, because I watched it with my own eyes, I know there were guys that didn't necessarily want to tangle with Clark Gillies, and Clark Gillies was not the type of guy to go looking for it because of his value to the team with his gloves on. Clark Gillies played on two of the most famous lines in the history of the organization. First... With Brian Trottier and Billy Harris, the Lilco line, or if you're not from Long Island and you don't know what Lilco is, it's the Long Island Lighting Company. So we played on that line with Brian Trottier and Billy Harris. But probably the line he's most known for was the line with Trottier and Mike Bossie, the Trio Grand line. You're not playing with Brian Trottier and Billy Harris or Brian Trottier and Mike Bossie if the team can afford to lose you after you fight a guy who you're better than. And... Even though Gillies would fight, he's a Hall of Famer. So he had to be careful who he fought. And like I said, it's a double-edged sword. You can't go off. You can't fight a guy just because this guy wants to fight you. But, again, I don't remember Gillies turning down a lot of guys because there just weren't that many takers. So let's start at the beginning. Clark Gillies was actually drafted twice in 1974. First-round pick, By the Islanders, 4th overall in 74. Also in the WHA Secret Amateur Draft, he was picked in the first round, 7th overall by Edmonton. Thankfully, he did not go to Edmonton, and he came here to Long Island. And his Islander career, unfortunately, ended when he was claimed off waivers by the Buffalo Sabres. On my 16th birthday, yes, that was my birthday present, the Islanders placed Clark Gillies on waivers, and the Sabres claimed him on October 6th, 1986. Before two-sport athletes were a thing, Clark Gillies was a two-sport athlete. In 1970, at the young age of 16, he signed with the Houston Astros and played, I believe, three seasons in their minor league system. And in 1972, he actually platooned at first base with future Islanders teammate Bob Bourne. So that'll tell you something. Those are two pretty good guys, pretty good two-sport athletes here. Now, Clark Gillies' highest penalty minute total in his career was 99. Never cracked triple digits in penalty minutes. And I bet that's something he's probably proud of. I I would see – this is why Clark needs to come on the show, because I'm going to guess that Clark Gillies is proud of the fact that in 1980-81 – His career high in penalty minutes was established at 99 in 80 games. He had three fights that year. And I bet he's proud of that because he fought on his terms. He fought when the team needed him, and he was still a Hall of Fame player. But let's go back to 74, 75, played 80 games, 66 pimps, four fights. Dean Talafus, Dave the Hammer Schultz, Keith Magnuson, and Andre Moose DuPont. In the playoffs that year, in 17 games, he actually tied the number of fights he had in the regular season with four. John Bednarski, Colin Campbell, Bob Paradise, and Dave the Hammer Schultz. So, you know, he only, only in quotes, had four fights in the regular season, but then he topped it with four fights. I mean, top it like a cherry on top, with four fights in the playoffs. In 75-76, again, 80 games played, 96 penalty minutes, 6 fights. Bob Stewart, Ted Irvin, again, Chris Jericho's pops. Dennis Ochar, Carol Vadnay, Pat Boutet, and John Grisdale. 76-77, 70 games, 93 penalty minutes, 5 fights. Lanny McDonald, Willie Plett, Andre Moose-Dupont. Keith Magnuson, and Dave Farish. How about Lanny McDonald appearing on a bunch of these lists? Because if Billy Smith was on this list, he'd be on there too. And uh, Jethro added one fight in the playoffs against Danny Gare. If someone does an all-time Buffalo Sabres list, I, Danny Gare would have to be on that. I mean, obviously, you got the Rob Rays and the Brad Mays and the Larry Playfairs. Those guys will be near the top. But Danny Gare's got to be somewhere in the top 10. I would think maybe 8, 9, or 10. The guy fought a lot of guys, and a lot of times he was maybe not the Sabres' best player. They had the French connection. But, uh, I mean, Danny Gare is really underrated as far as scrapping goes. In 77-78, again, Gillies plays 80 games, 76 penalty minutes, five fights. Reed Larson, Terry O'Reilly, Tiger Williams, Randy Holt, Dennis Polinich. and for those of you who don't know Dennis Palinich is almost like the Red Wings version of Gary Howitt a small guy who doesn't take a backseat to anybody definitely a fun guy to watch and in the playoffs that year he had one fight Jerry Butler of Toronto Jerry Butler appears on a lot of Islanders fight cards for very good reason 78 79 75 games two fights Ryan Walter and Dave Hoyda. added one fight in the playoffs that year Reg Kerr 79-80, 79 80, 73 games, 49 pims, three pen, uh, three fights, Neil komadoski Ronnie Duguay, and Don Jackson. And that year in the playoffs, 21 games, 63 penalty minutes, and the most fights he had at any point, be it regular season or playoffs, he had seven fights that year. He tied for the team lead. It's the only time he led the team in fights or penalty minutes was the 79-80 playoffs. He tied for the team lead in fights. I'm going to throw out one name in this group that I'm sure you are well aware of. He fought Jerry Korab of the Kings, fought Al Secord with the Bruins, Paul Holmgren with the Flyers, and in between Korab and Al Secord, he fought Terry O'Reilly four times. You know you've seen the fights. Those are two warriors going at it for their teams. you got to love both of those guys. Four times, Gillies and O'Reilly in those playoffs, really cemented Gillies um, and really you know, put the Islanders over the top there. 80-81, again, 80 games played. This was his career high in penalty minutes, 99 penalty minutes, three fights, Ben Wilson, Stan Jonathan, Ken Houston. 81-82, uh, 79 games, 75 minutes, two fights. Brad, Motor City, Smitty, and Ed Hospedar. Everybody's seen that Ed Hospedar fight. Uh, Ed Hospedar talks about it. You know, I think him and Gillies are friends, and uh, I'm sure Gillies felt, probably felt bad about it right after it. He seems like that kind of guy. The fans, of course, hey, we were happy. Uh, I was 11 at the time. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I couldn't believe anyone would fight Gillies. I'm being honest with you people. When I was a kid, and I'm watching this as a kid, I can't believe anyone would go near Clark Gillies. It's just how I viewed him as a kid. Uh, 82-83, 70 games, two more fights. Kevin McClelland and Dan Mandich. uh, McClelland with Pittsburgh, Mandich of the North Stars. 83-84, 76 games, three fights. Uh, The one I talked about earlier, young Marty McSorley. uh, Ben Wilson rematch and Dale Hunter, who was with Quebec at the time. 84-85, 84-85, 54 games, two fights. Uh, Steve Richmond and John Blum. John Blum later would play some games with Capital District. The Richmond fight is uh, is a result of, in my intro, when you hear uh, Phil Esposito talk about Gillies has got to hold the Sandstrom, somebody better help Sandstrom. As the scrum developed, it ended up where Gillies paired off against Steve Richmond, and I give Steve Richmond full marks for going with Clark Gillies, but you can kind of tell as they're squaring off Richmond, and go go back and watch the video, I'm not lying, Richmond's looking over both shoulders. I think he's looking for someone to jump in and kind of stop it before it starts. That doesn't happen, but I think he kind of went for Clark's legs. Not much really happened after that, but uh, listen, I, I wouldn't want to be uh, staring down at Clark Gillies if I was uh, Steve Richmond either. Uh, 84-85 playoffs, he had one fight, rematch with Ed Hospodar, who is now with the Flyers. And 85-86 is last year with the Islanders. Uh, Three fights, Norm Schmidt of Pittsburgh, Bob Probert of Detroit, and also Barry Melrose of Detroit. So Clark Gilley's career numbers with the Islanders, 872 career games played, 891 career penalty minutes, which places him 7th. 39 fights, which ranks him 11th in the playoffs. 159 playoff games, 262 playoff penalty minutes, and 15 playoff fights. And like I said, he tied for the team lead in playoff fights one time, and that was the 79-80 playoffs where he fought Terry O'Reilly four times and three other guys one time each. Clark Gillies was a first-team NHL All-Star In 77-78 and 78-79. And he played in the 1978 All-Star Game. Registered two penalty minutes. Clark Gillies also played for the NHL All-Stars versus the Russians versus the USSR in the 1979 Challenge Cup. Also played for Team Canada in the 1981 Canada Cup. Where Canada was the runner-up to those goddamn Soviets again. Number nine was retired. raised to the rafters of our beloved barn on December 7th, 1996. Clark Gillies was inducted into the Suffolk County Sports Hall of Fame in 1998. He was inducted into the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame in 2000. And of course, the big one, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2002. Oh, by the way, Clark Gillies, four time Stanley Cup champion. And before he was a Stanley Cup champion in 1973 74, he was a member of the Memorial Cup champion Regina Pats. Clark Gillies, my king of the Islanders Enforcers. Agree, disagree. I love it. Clark Gillies, I think most people would agree with me that Clark Gillies has to be number one on this list. But if you have Nystrom, or if you have Vakota, or you have Howitt, or you have Cairns, I'm cool with that. Absolutely 100% cool with that. For me, it's Gillies number one, Nystrom number two. So just to recap what I have done here, let's get it going here. My four honorable mentions Brian Kern, the Colonel, Richie Pilon, The Chief, and Kanopka, Z, and Ross, The Boss, Johnston. Those are my four honorable mentions. Then we get to the, the top 10. Number 10, Maddie Martin. Number 9, Kenny Belanger. Number 8, Trevor Gillies. Number 7, Eric Goddard. Number 6, Kenny, The Bomber, Baumgartner. Number 5, The Hitman, Gary Howitt. Number four, Eric Cairns. Number three, Mick the Quick, Mick Vacoda. Number two, four, Mr. Islander, Bob Nystrom, and the man who wears the crown that will never be taken off his head, Jethro, the Hall of Famer himself, Mr. Clark Gillies. So, folks, that is my top ten. As I said, this will never change. Nobody is entering this top 10, it'd be nice if I have to figure out how to get Ross Johnston in there. But with the way the NHL is going, I don't have high hopes for that. That is not a Ross Johnston problem. That is an NHL problem. But this is my official top 10. Please send me your top 10s. And you know what? This show has always been me interviewing former players, current players, and I really value the guys who have taken the time to let me interview them. And for the the folks on this list who I have not interviewed yet, if by some chance this podcast passes through your frame of vision, and if by chance you take the time to listen to this, please, I beg of you to look at my back catalog, look at some of the names I've interviewed, and it would be an honor, an absolute honor, to add you to the list of players I have interviewed. I feel like I will do as good a job as anyone. I will I will give 100% to use the old sports cliche, but please, for guys like Bob Nystrom and guys like Clark Gillies and guys like Gary Howitt, and Eric Goddard, um, please consider coming on my show because it would be such a thrill for me to talk hockey and Islanders hockey and your careers with you. So that is my plea folks I hope that you enjoyed this like I said send me your top 10 islanders it'd be great to have a discussion about it and uh and that's it so um everybody out there that's my top 10 and I'm sticking with it till the end and there you have it ladies and gentlemen my official all-time top 10 Islanders Enforcer list. Like I said, this is probably a forever list. We'll see what happens down the road, but I will not waver from this list. This list is permanent. If it was on a piece of paper, it would be laminated and i hope you enjoyed my countdown like i said in the beginning please hit me with your list hit me with some feedback about mine but definitely hit me with your list tell me why i don't know what i'm talking about tell me who i who i included that shouldn't be there who i left uh who i left off that should be there And all that fun stuff. Let's make this episode the most interactive episode that uh, I've ever done. And uh, other than that, I am getting away from talking about what's coming up next week. I feel like it's bad karma. So um, how about I just leave it at this? Thank you for listening to this episode. Everybody have a great week and stay safe.